This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily, fully diving headfirst into the Winnipeg Jets offseason, but uh, looking forward to the Winnipeg Blue Bomber season as well. CFL Global Draft and CFL Draft happened yesterday. We will break it down and what the Bombers did and who's coming into the fold with Eddie Tate a little later on in the program. And of course, it is playoff time for both the Winnipeg Ice and the Manitoba Moose. It was great to have Carson Lambos on the program yesterday. As the ice get ready to get their round two series going Friday and Saturday at home at the Ice Cave. And today we'll get ready for the Moose, who will be wheels up tomorrow to Milwaukee for games one and two against the Admirals. And Moose assistant coach Marty Johnson is going to join us in just a few minutes to a breakdown. We've got to look back at their season overall. And of course, give us the lowdown on the challenge coming up face to the Moose by the Milwaukee Admirals. And in between all of it, the continued saga of the Winnipeg Jets continues, and we'll get uh, Murata Tesh's thoughts on both what we heard from Mark Scheifele, Paul Stastny, and a number of the Winnipeg Jets at the end of the season, Kevin Sheveldayoff as well, and also a little bit of a tease on the second part of the Winnipeg Jets fan poll that was put out with some not surprising but interesting reaction from Winnipeg Jet fans on the season ahead and most importantly what to do going forward to get this team in a different situation next year so we're talking about whiteouts and playoff hockey at Canada Life Center and not everything else that we've been discussing this week it is going to be a great show I will bring Michael Remus in here in just a second a big shout out to all the sponsors that make Winnipeg Sports Talk happen Our friends at Breezy Bend are excited to open the golf course in about 10 days from now. Uh, Of course, our friends at Assiniboia Downs about to drop the uh, flag, if you will, on the uh, season with live racing beginning on May 23rd. Uh, Wallace & Wallace, F Apparel, Vita Health Fresh Market, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, uh, Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick & Nicky DQ Group, Canadian Club Whiskey, and of course, our betting partners over at Cool Bet Canada. We'll also get to a pretty wild night in the Stanley Cup playoffs last night. Couple upsets, a little triple OT, and another big slate of games coming up tonight. But uh, let's get to Michael Remus and welcome him into the program. And of course, welcome everyone watching with us live on our YouTube channel at Winnipeg Sports Talk. Remo, what's good, dude? Feeling pretty good, Huss. Uh, I'm... Way more hyped for this playoff hockey um, than I thought I was going to be. You know, I thought, oh, the Jets are out. They didn't make it. I'm going to be sitting here jealous of all the fans having their parties in Calgary and Edmonton, which I might be. But I didn't think I'd actually be invested in watching the game. And we had a triple overtime game yesterday. Uh, unfortunately, it was, you know, the early game. It wasn't the late game. I didn't get, didn't get to have my badge for staying up late for triple overtime. Um <laughs> Uh, but uh, and then we had Calgary, Dallas, uh, Colorado laying the smackdown on Nashville. So I'm I'm here for the first round. The test is, can I maintain it for rounds two? Because you get kind of burned out. I think you get burned out, you know, because uh, the first round's so awesome. I think the playoffs kind of just go downhill after the first round. There's nothing better than the first round of the playoffs. Yes, I mean if you're a hockey fan right now, I mean you're firing it up at six o'clock. You're getting great action right up until midnight, maybe later, depending on what happens in the West Coast games. 
Uh, but it has been a great start and some interesting, interesting results so far. I'll say this. I, I, I'm still so disappointed. And part of it was, I guess, my own fault for being away and not coming back until Sunday. Um, but no playoff pools. You know, with it ending and then the playoffs beginning on Monday, it was very difficult. I did see some guys getting together on Monday night and doing their drafts. Uh, but I'm definitely missing out the excitement of having a playoff pool or two this year, as I'm sure many of you are. That being said, um, the uh, action on the ice has been has been great. Um, big win for Calgary last night. Dominating performance for the Colorado Avalanche, as one might expect it, uh, especially with UC Soros out. A big save, Dave. Didn't mix in very many big saves last night. Uh, that one could be over quickly. Um, and of course, I mean, the, maybe the real surprise of, of everything starting off, Remo, was the, uh, was the Florida Panthers last night. I mean, you know, after the season that they've had, but the lack, we want to talk about the long playoff drought. I mean, the Leafs have been 18 years. The Panthers haven't won a series since they were in the cup final in 1996. And I think that this is going to be a real challenge for Andrew Brunette. I mean, they've had such an amazing year, and Joel Quenville was the guy. He got bounced due to everything that happened with the Blackhawks. They didn't replace him, and they kept rolling all year long. How they handle the adversity of losing the first game on home ice against a team that has some playoff experience in that room and some Stanley Cup rings in the dressing room for the Washington Capitals will certainly be uh, be interesting. And I'm also interested to see how the New York Rangers bounce back. I mean, Ilya Shesterkin makes 76 saves. Louis Domingue comes in after the starting goaltender, Casey DeSmith, was out with uh, with cramping, I guess. Uh, lack of hydration during that long OT game and end up getting the win. Um, and the Rangers had really handled the Penguins quite well throughout this season and the last season but not the way that you want to start off with. And uh, this, in a lot of ways, could be the last stand for the Penguins. I mean, there's some players, key players, like in the Genie Malkin, that there are questions as to where they'll be next year. I mean, this core has done some incredible things for the Steel City. Uh, they showed that they're not done yet. A big, big win last night in that triple overtime game. And uh, tell you what, first two games, of this, first two nights of the Stanley Cup playoffs have been phenomenal. And I'm looking forward to another great night tonight, uh, including a huge game for the Oilers as they absolutely have to even that series before heading back to Southern California. Yeah, big game uh, for the Oilers. I always wondered, uh, when you get into these lengthy triple overtime games, would a team ever change their goalie, you know, like a, like uh, baseball teams change pitchers? I mean, you're you're making a lot of saves now. I don't think you can do that if you're if you're um you know got Shesterkin, who's you know Bezda candidate improved it yesterday with uh, how many saves did he have? Some ridiculous, some ridiculous number. Ranger record, I believe. Yeah, so. But I always wondered, you know, if you when you're getting in there, if a team would ever do it. And I don't think Penguins did that, but maybe it, were, it obviously worked because he didn't have what didn't have cramping or anything. Uh, Louis Domingue, he's been more known for making cooking videos on YouTube and social media lately than stopping the puck. And there he there he was, longtime uh, Coyotes goalie. Uh, so. Well, the funny thing is, apparently he chowed down on. Uh, I, apparently, I, I read that they had the, they served spicy pork in between periods for the uh, for the players when they needed to eat in between the overtimes, and he chowed down, just thinking he just you know he was hungry, he'd get something to eat, not thinking that he'd be thrown into action in the middle 
of an extended overtime period. But um, they got it done. Anyways, great night. We'll maybe spend a little bit more time on the playoffs later on in the program. But we've got a lot to get to. And we should start it off with the Winnipeg Jets. I got a text last night uh, that said, you know, some interesting names for, um, you know, that are coming to the surface for, you know, potentially being the next coach of the Winnipeg Jets. And a couple of the names, I think we've already heard them mentioned and we shouldn't be surprised, but there were some other examples around it. Scott O'Neill, first and foremost, he was the coach of the Manitoba Moose that took him to the Calder Cup championship in 2009, um, was uh, a year and a half as a head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, then a longtime assistant on Elaine Vigneault's staff, and now, uh, well, up one nothing against those Florida Panthers on Peter Laviolette's staff with the Washington Capitals. Um, I don't think it's a surprise that Arneal's name was mixed in. I mean, I think he's a guy that had been looking for a second shot in the National Hockey League, certainly has a lot of great experience and certainly has some connections to this city and this organization. The name Randy Carlisle that came out today as well was mentioned to me that Randy Carlisle wants back in uh, to the coaching game in the National Hockey League as a former Stanley Cup winner, two tours of duty with the Anaheim Ducks, and of course, a period of time with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, and he certainly would be a guy that the powers that be uh, that run the Winnipeg Jets would be uh, very, very familiar with as a former president of the Moose organization. Uh, that was uh, probably the year that he hated the most working with me on a day to day basis uh, on a not hockey on a not hockey duties. Um, and of course, coach for the Manitoba Moose. Uh, and as we mentioned, two uh, two times with the with the Ducks, but also winning that Stanley Cup. I mean, I think there was some wonder whether Randy Carlo was even looking to get back into coaching. Well, it sounds like he is interested in. And as Elliot Friedman mentioned this morning on his 32 Thoughts podcast, oh, those are two names that have come in early that we would expect to get interviews. They did say that this is going to be a wide, wide coaching search. Um, so again, I know some people will jump to conclusions. I mean, I think those are some logical guys that maybe would... You know, I'd potentially have a leg up on some others because of their familiarity with the organization and the city and their history, both as former members of the Winnipeg Jets 1.0. But it doesn't surprise me that we're starting to hear names because, Remus, this is a huge, huge decision for this team going forward. And um, both Arneal and Carlisle mentioned today by Elliot Friedman. Yeah, Elliot uh, dropping some bombs there in the 32 thoughts. And I I guess that's what the next couple months are going to be. You know. We're going to be hearing names. I think Joe Pascucci mentioned those guys on our show. We kind of thought it would, you know, you would hear players who've been associated with the uh, or, with the you know Moose organization in the past with True North. So we'll we'll wait and see. You know, you mentioned Randy Carlisle. You know, my first inkling is you, you know maybe we should go bring in some some new ideas. You know, maybe the prerequisite for the job shouldn't be you know that you've worked with them before. I think it's clear they need a need a new direction possibly new leadership group. I think the coach will have the say over that. But, you know, you see what, uh, you know, I laughed at Calgary when they hired Daryl Sutter, and here they are in the playoffs winning the Pacific Division. Now, I don't do it. Would that happen here? I, I don't know. But, you know, maybe I have, I'm able to question uh, my own ideas uh, on, on head coaches. I mean, what do I know? I'm just here in my basement uh, us talking about talking about hockey. But we'll have to wait and see what happens. And I think it's logical that those names come out as we kind of speculated uh, a while ago. 
Yeah, Arnie's interesting. I mean, he certainly would be described as a systems-based coach. I mean, I don't think he's as much of a rah-rah guy. Uh, Listen, that's not to say that. I mean, he did a pretty damn good job of motivating that Moose team that went to the Calder Cup Finals and had had some success. And I'll say this uh, about coaches. Um, I remember talking to Arnie after he, um, you know, was fired as the head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. And or maybe it was even after the first season before he had uh, before he was no longer there. But the bottom line is you go in after, you know, having a lot of success in the American Hockey League and you get the coaching gig in the National Hockey League. And I think the quote was that he said that after the fact, when you went in, you thought that you had the answers and you realized that you didn't even know the questions. And I think that experience, whether it's here in Winnipeg or somewhere else, uh, I think will be very valuable for, uh, for Scott Arneal if he does get another opportunity wherever it is. Uh, and then the other thing is that he's worked with some pretty damn successful coaches as well, uh, both, as I mentioned, with Peter LaViolette and Elaine Vigneault. So he's interesting. Carlisle is probably a little more polarizing uh, uh, of a guy. Um, you know, there'll be some people that think it's a terrible idea, and there'll be some people that'll think it's a great idea. Because if there's one thing that I think we recognize, what have we been talking about? Accountability over and over and over again. I don't think there'll be any question that and Randy Carlisle will, will demand that. Um, and we'll probably get that. Now, how he goes about getting it, I think, is interesting. There'll be some questions as to how he handles younger players, um, as well as some of the style of players that the Winnipeg Jets have. And whether that's a fit or not, you know, I guess we will see. But I'll say this. I, I think I probably have more time for the thought of Carlisle today than I would have two or three weeks ago, considering what we heard over and over again from just about every member of the Winnipeg Jets coming out of the season with one notable exception, that you know a higher standard and that level of accountability needs to be put in place. And um, I'll tell you what, you may agree or disagree with what Carlisle is trying to instill in his team, but that, I guarantee you, will not be a question if Randy Carlisle is the next coach of the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't sure if we would uh, would see him come back, but uh, as you said, want you know certainly an option kicked around here by Elliot Friedman, and he did have success in the past. He is, you know, we saw what Daryl Sutter did with Calgary after being out of the game, and you know, I think Jets need that kind of coach, and maybe it's a better fit than I was willing to admit when I initially heard the idea. So, um, but there are some comments in chat saying, you know, how long. Can you run with that type of coach um, going forward? But, you know, if the well, Jets want... Not, not eight years. Uh, yeah. And I think that, I think, you know, we've seen it. But, I mean, I think back to Carlisle going in uh, in his round two with Anaheim in 2016-17. Uh, he came in, made an immediate impact with that hockey club and not only got them to the playoffs, but got them to the conference finals. There was the law of diminishing returns after that. And that's not unique to Randy. I mean, that happens, I mean, over and over again in professional sports. And that's why the shelf life of many coaches, um, you know, is not as long as they would like. Um, you know, the, the law of diminishing returns certainly um, uh, rears its head in, in coaching. Um, so, you know, it, listen, I, I think the most important thing is to get this team on the right track in the short term um, and make the most of these next couple seasons. and. You know, I, 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 you know, again, it'll be interesting. The one thing that Friedman did say, and I think that we've heard from the Winnipeg Jets, and I think everyone just hopes that this is, you know, how they go forward. 
is that they do cast a wide net. I mean, I have no issues in them interviewing anybody. I mean, interview everybody you want, but make sure that there are maybe some out-of-the-box candidates, some people that don't have ties to the organization that get the opportunity, a fair opportunity to come in and show what they might be able to do. Because while it is important, and you have to know the type of people that you're bringing into the organization and the men uh, that are leading, you know, the guys in your dressing room, um, you know, it's, there are other great other people that, you know, might be out of the, uh, that circle at this point. And I think it's important to consider them all. So, um, you know, we'll ask Murat about that and see what he thinks uh, about those two names that have been thrown out. But as I said, it's very, very early. So if you are very negative on that, on that idea, uh, before any freaking out takes place, let it breathe a little bit and see what other names surface over the next little while. Because as you said, this is not going to be a quick snap of the fingers decision. I don't believe. I think it will be exhaustive. I think there will be many people that will get consideration. And I'm not surprised that Scott O'Neill in particular is one of the guys that are getting it. And it is interesting to hear Randy Carlisle sort of throwing his name back into the mix and uh, you know hoping to get some consideration from the Winnipeg Jets. Certainly was a great player, was a great member of this organization with the Manitoba Moose would be interesting on a third act, especially with everything that we've heard happening around the Winnipeg Jets. Now, Remo, and we'll talk about this with Murat. We've been talking about it all week. I mean, the after uh, the aftermath of the end of season comments of the Winnipeg Jets continues to uh, be discussed at length here on Winnipeg Sports Talk throughout this city amongst fans. But the news is also uh, obviously getting around the National Hockey League. And um, I'm not sure. Do we have that clip ready? Are we good yeah, to go on it? We're good okay. to go. So yesterday, and I always enjoy once we're done uh, throwing on seeing what Hayes and O'Dog and Noodles have for us on uh, on overdrive for a while. And I sort of thought that the Jets would be an afterthought at this point. Um, you know, the Leafs are in the playoffs. There's all that excitement in Toronto. You've got Calgary and you've got Edmonton. So I didn't think maybe that the Winnipeg Jets would be a topic that, you know, a show like that would be discussed, you know, coming out of Toronto. Um, but it does focus very closely on the National Hockey League, and these players in particular have great connections throughout the league and are talking about the league. And they had Mike Johnson, um, who, for my money, is one of the most interesting and best NHL analysts in the game right now on the program. And they were talking about what was happening in Vancouver, but then transitioned over to the Winnipeg Jets. And I guess we could touch a little bit more on Vancouver and what that means for Bruce Boudreaux and potentially Paul Maurice. But I want to play this clip from yesterday's overdrive just to give you an idea about what is happening in Winnipeg and the conversations we've been having, how people are noticing elsewhere in the National Hockey League. And, you know, with the exception of Brian Hayes, the other three guys in this conversation are all longtime former NHLers, very respected, involved in the game right now. And this is what they had to say about the end of the Jets season both what Sheveldayoff had to say, and then it sort of transitioned into moving forward and what needs to happen for the Winnipeg Jets. Check this out from TSN's Overdrive yesterday afternoon. What Kevin Sheveldayoff in Winnipeg effectively said, Dave Lowry, the interim coach, yeah, if he wants to apply, I guess he can go ahead. You know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, basically, like, you have Just no don't shot. don't say that comment, though. Like, you're not hiring yeah. him. He's not no. going to get an interview, so don't say it. Just yeah. say, we're moving on from this coaching staff. We're looking elsewhere. Exactly. Like, what? Like I get it. You have, I'm sure you have respect for him, of course, but you're, he's not coming back. Like, everyone kind of understands uh, you, that. You wonder, guys, if, like, and you're right, like, like <laughs> you, I need to go through the interview process. I've been in the organization for, like, four years. Right, like, exactly. What yeah. Like, what are we talking about here? But I also wonder... I mean, Dave Lowry's son is an important player on the team. 
And Very so, true. like, you know, maybe you're trying to kid glove it on the way out the door because, you know, Adam's still there and he has term left on his contract and you don't want to, you know, you don't want to sour him about what's going on in that franchise. But that franchise is interesting. Like, I, I don't know, because playoffs are starting and Kevin Chevaldeoff downplayed it, I thought Paul Stasny's contra- comments were, were telling, talking about his team chasing yep. individual stuff, too much tied up in, in individual success and not caring about the team's success. And I'm like, like that is... That is Toxic. as direct and as indictable a comment as you can, a hockey player can make. And Paul Stas is not a guy who just pops off for the heck of it. He obviously felt this deeply. And that mm. speaks to some issues on that team that need to be figured out. Yep. D- I don't dysfunction. Think I, and I, I, I don't think it's a secret. People aren't saying it. You talk to people in Winnipeg, I don't think it's a secret who they believe has to go. Like it, and, and it's, it's, it's Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler. Exactly. Like it's 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 quite evident. And even Shifley's comments, uh, you know, like mm-hmm. you don't come out five seconds after the season. This guy's saying that. Like it, 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 I I thought they were ridiculous personally. It's just time like, to go. It's time to go. Yeah. Maybe they want to move from the player. Maybe Mark Shifley wants to play. I, somewhere that's what else. it felt like to me. I get it. I know you're breaking up with me, but I break up with you first. So there you have what uh, what the boys on Overdrive had yesterday to say about it, and it was interesting that Mike uh, that uh, Mike Johnson um, you know jumped in immediately with Mark Shifley and included Blake Wheeler in that. And we're going to ask Murad about you know where the situation the captain is in. I think it's pretty clear where the assistant captain is in, and I'm not talking about Josh Morris, who was nominated for the Masterton Trophy today by the Winnipeg Jets. Congratulations to Josh. Um, you know the word has been out for a while, and. Um, Anyways, that was interesting. I figured you'd be like to know that because this isn't just a conversation we're having here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. I mean, word is around the league, and it has been for a while that things haven't been right in Winnipeg. Um, but coming out of the end of the season, it is uh, evident, I think, for anybody to see uh, that there's some big issues that need to be fixed going forward for the Winnipeg Jets. We'll talk about it coming up with Murata Tesh, but before we do that, let's get ready for Moose Playoffs with Marty Johnson. And uh, just before that, I do want to thank our friends at Wallace & Wallace, Winnipeg's fencing and overhead door specialists for their great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk, serving residential and commercial customers since 1946. If you need the pro- the uh, security and protection of a new fence or if winter's done a number on your old one, give them a call. Vinyl, ornamental, welded wire, chain link, or wood, Wallace & Wallace has the right fence for you. And if it's time to replace your garage door, they've also got Winnipeg's largest selection of overhead garage doors. You can call them at 452-2700. Their experts will arrange a time to come and give you a free estimate. You can also visit them at wallacefences.com or pop down to their showroom on Lawson Road off of Keniston Boulevard. A Vita Health Fresh Market continues to deliver great prices on Winnipeg's best selection of natural organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries. And with Mother's Day coming up this weekend, don't forget about mom. Pop into one of our the seven Winnipeg locations for Vita Health and get mom the perfect Mother's Day gift. And if you want to search beforehand or you can't make it to the store, visit the brand new fully shoppable website at myvita.ca to buy online or schedule a delivery with Instacart. And don't forget those delicious lunch options available at the grab-and-go deli like Vita Market salads, soups, sandwiches, and more. Seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge and online at myvita.ca. And, uh, hey, summer's here. Got a couple big events. I'm looking forward to being involved in the Rady Dinner with our old pal Matt Liable. Have to throw the suit on for that. Weddings and whatnot. Guys, 
Everyone needs at least one suit that fits and looks great. And F Apparel has their the leading in the market custom suits for men starting at just $400. Pop by now. They've got all their new styles and fabrics for the summer, over 250 to choose from. And if you do have a wedding coming up or involved in a wedding party, talk to them about suiting up the fellas. 15% off for the entire wedding party when your group guy buys your suits at F Apparel. F Apparel, 190 Smith Street, and online at FEPHapparel.com. And again, a big welcome back to our friends at Assiniboia Downs. Opening day at the track is May 23rd. Find out more at asdowns.com. Of course, the brunch is back. Uh, everything's coming back in Assiniboia Downs this year. And the Kentucky Derby is this weekend. We'll tee it up with our friend Kirk Contois on Friday afternoon show to hopefully give us a few winners for the run for the roses. All right, Maratesh coming up in just a few minutes. But before we do that, let's head out to Moose HQ and tee up the Moose Admirables. Admirals playoff series dropping the puck on Friday night with Moose assistant coach Marty Johnson. Marty, what's going on? It's great to have you on Winnipeg Sports Talk. How are you? Yeah, it's great to be here. We just got off the ice from our uh, practice, and uh, you can tell the level of excitement is there. We're we're ready to play, and uh, the guys have basically said that enough of practice. Let's let's get after it, and uh, we're excited about heading to Milwaukee tomorrow. Been a long season, been a really successful season for the uh, for the Manitoba Moose, and uh, uh, but I imagine you know towards the end, I mean, especially with the extended regular season, um, guys are ready to go. How would you describe the vibe amongst the locker room right now, coming out of that final practice in Winnipeg? Vibe is good. I mean, I think the last two weeks of the regular season, where we had our uh, you know our position secured in the playoffs, and then going into the last week, we had our seating set. Um, you could tell guys were just kind of waiting for the playoffs to start. And, uh, and today there was, a, there was a lot of jump. There was a level of intensity there that uh, the coaches didn't ask for. It was just there. And, uh, and we feel the group is uh, in a good place and, and ready to start. Well, and in some ways, I mean, I think you've pretty much known that you were destined for this 2-3 matchup and you needed to figure out whether it was going to be Rockford or Milwaukee. But you sort of knew what the, uh, what the task was going to be. Um, sometimes it's challenging to get through those final few uh, final few games of the regular season, but now it's playoff time and everyone knows what is at stake and what the uh, what the goal is. I wanted to ask you about the team overall, though, from this season, because it's a very interesting unit. I mean, you, you won 41 games in the regular season. You were 17 games above 500. And yet when you look at the, you know, look at the statistics of the team, I mean, it is about as balanced a team as I can ever remember. I mean, there's no one or two players that are running away, you know, with points that are the key offensive cogs. Um, and you've got about as balanced scoring of any team I can ever remember at this level. I mean, from being behind the bench, what did you learn about this club and how how well are they positioned to go on a playoff run considering, you know, how deep and balanced that this club has been pretty much the entire season? Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting. I, I've coached now for 15 years and I've never had a a team where the, the balance of scoring is, is, is like this, um, you know, on any given night, it's a different guy stepping up and playing the role of the hero, even on the back end. I know our, our back end is, is full of talented guys, but um, you know, Jonathan kobasevic has got 11 goals and he's one of the few D that don't play on the power play um, up front. You know, Cole Meyer is viewed by many as a checking center and, and he was right up there in scoring. So, What's been nice and, and the life in the American League is, is that you're constantly losing guys. You're constantly, you know, guys get are getting called up, but 
we were able to handle the injuries. We were able to handle the call-ups because we had that balance in scoring. And it makes our group competitive internally. There's lots of internal competition for ice time. So it's been awesome. And, and I think that, uh, you know, for the large part, it's been the leadership group that's made the difference. Well, and... <laughs> You know what? It's funny, and I'm sure when Zinger and uh, you know and you and Mark were putting the team together, I mean, it maybe it isn't the plan to have such a balanced team, but part of that is players kind of making the most of their opportunities. And you mentioned COVID and the amount of call-ups that happened over the course of the season. Um, you know, I remember talking with Jeff Malott earlier this year, and he's going to join us on the program tomorrow um, about a game. I can't remember where it was in Chicago or Milwaukee, where essentially they're introducing each other to new teammates in the in the skate before the game um but with all of that adversity that happened to so many teams one of the great things about the moose i'm sure you'd agree was the amount of guys that maybe were a little bit more off the radar in the big picture that came in established themselves as viable ahl players that have really contributed to the end goal yeah i mean we've used i think five goalies this year uh cormier came in on a essentially a tryout and ended up getting almost 10 wins i think um, you look on defense, we have a local boy, Dean Stewart, who came in and, and played on the power play, spent most of the year in the East Coast League, but uh, came in and did a job for us. Uh, we've had countless guys come in. And, and the good thing is, is that our room was very inclusive in terms of guys right away were, were comfortable with each other, lots of support. So, uh, so it's been good. It's been really good. You mentioned that leadership group, and especially, you know, when you're welcoming in players that are getting, you know, what could be the opportunity of their career, moving up from a league, getting a chance to play on a quality squad and getting ice time, which isn't always there. I mean, tell us a bit about that leadership group and the guys that have really been uh, maybe the uh, the core of this team, welcoming in new players and uh, driving the message day in, day out at both games and practices. Well, I think it starts with our captain. Jimmy is, Oligny has been outstanding. Um, we have a number of assistant captains that have worn letters this year, um, Cole Meyer and David Gustafson. But I think, you know, it we went back to two years ago when we had uh, the COVID year where we were essentially locked down as a group. And the guys learned to play cards together. They learned to to get along because we really had nothing else. We were sort of prisoners in, in inside the rink. So it was... Uh, it was really good, and uh, from there, um, the group has taken it to, to another level this year in terms of making sure that everybody's accepted and everybody has a voice. And, and the ego is that there's not a lot of ego in our room, and I think that's what helps us is that um, guys come in, they're accepted, they, they support them, and as long as we get a win, we're happy. You know, in, in many corners of the hockey world, we've heard about, you know, just how taxing and how trying the COVID times were. Um, it sounds like from your last uh, uh, answer, though, there were some some benefits of what this group and this core, um, you know, gained out of it being together for so long. I mean, it can kind of go one of two ways. And it seems like for this group, it went a very positive way um, that brought them even closer together now into this season where you're not going through all that. Yeah, they were forced to spend time with each other. And uh, I think the fact that they, you know, on the road, we were locked into our hotels last year. Um, I think this year it's translated to be the same. Um, you know, the guys do everything together. Um, they're asking for, you know, days off so they can do team activities. They're asking for days off so they can go their separate ways. And uh, we have a young team. I think we only have two veterans on our team, which is abnormal for an American League hockey team. But, um, you know, they want to be together. They want to hang out together. Um, you know, typically we know when when the whole team's had fun 
because they're they're all out together enjoying themselves whether it's you know whatever activity it is they they choose to do so it's been really good i mean as a coach sometimes you have to spend a lot of your energy on managing people uh, instead of just trying to manage how to win the next game through looking at video and, and talking to individual guys this year all we've had to do is coach hockey uh the guys come to the rink they work hard if anything needs to be taken care of they take care of each other um for the large part we're, we're just you know back there throwing them over the boards and, and enjoying what we see because they've they've really been everything a team should be every in in the true sense of the word they're they're they play for each other and uh and like you mentioned earlier i think it it shows in our stat line with the balanced scoring with uh the locals against um you know we're a pretty disciplined team um we haven't had long stretches of of losses it, it's it's a good group we really hope that this can continue we know we're going into the most difficult part of the season where um lineups uh are going to be at their strongest point um and we know that our, our competition is tough but uh we like where the group is at right now we like the the balance in our in our lines and and uh we really hope that you know games one and two are successful for us so we can bring it back home and and be in a good position uh, you mentioned the balance, and we've been talking about it in that lineup. How much of an advantage is it, in your perspective, going into a series like this? I mean, often, you know, especially at the American League level, you look at, you know, there might be one or two really key guys on a team that does the majority of the scoring. And, you know, from a coaching perspective, you plan your whole week going into the series to take care of the guys that do the most damage. It's a very difficult task to do against the Manitoba Moose, the way you guys are constructed. Yeah, and I think it's you know the fact that we have home ice advantage in in the first round in terms of games three and five. It's probably tougher on uh, their coaching staff than ours because um, we're confident with who we're putting out over the over the bench. And if you look at the first place team in our division in the Chicago Wolves, they have a hundred point scorer, they have a forty five goal scorer. I think our top point getters got just shy over forty points, but uh, we're balanced. Uh, we have confidence in all four lines. You look through our last 10 games, I'm sure each line has been the main driver in one of our wins. Um, so we like it. And we like the fact that all of our, our goalies have been contributing right down to the end. We've had three goalies playing our last 10 games and and uh, we like the fact that they're all ready. Um, so, you know, we, we talk about depth, we talk about balance. Obviously, we're going to have to make sure that um, we do that when, when it matters most. But... Um, the one thing that we know is is that even the guys that don't start in our lineup, we have a great deal of confidence in, and uh, and that's a real luxury to have as a coaching staff. Marty, uh, I want to ask you about the blue line. Uh, Jet fans that maybe haven't seen as much of the Moose it did get a chance to see a number of these young men get a taste of the National Hockey League. You mentioned Johnny Kovacevic. We had him on the program. What a what a great young guy he is, and I mean, really acquitted himself very well. and has had a monster season for um for for your squad. Uh, Billy Hanel has had some time. He's back there. Declan Chisholm as well. Uh, it would seem from the outside that the blue line is a real strength of the club. How is it shaping up, and how big of an addition will it be to re- welcome back Dylan Stamberg, who um, obviously uh, opened up a lot of eyes at the NHL level, and I'm sure will be looking forward to contributing to uh, this team in the playoffs. Yeah, it'll be really nice to have Dylan back. I thought that he was playing his best hockey when he got called up, and you know, we see the confidence that he has uh, coming back, and uh, he's kind of part of the Twin Towers. We have Kovacevic and Sandberg who have played together for the last couple of years and done a really good job. Um, we have different looks. We have Declan Chisholm and Leon Kovanke that really control the play through their 
puck play and their skating. And then we haven't even talked about Vili. And uh, Vili is a really dynamic player. Uh, he's a difference maker on the power play. Um, you know, he's he's done well at the NHL level this year, and he's done really well with us. So, we, you know, we'd be lying if we didn't say uh, our defense is a strength of our team. Um, it's it's a luxury to have. It's really important. Um, and uh, with that being said, our captain, Jimmy O, is, is back there kind of making sure everything goes right as well. He's a veteran presence. He's been around. Um, he's got a real big impact on our bench, especially when, you know, times are tough. He does a really good job of stepping up. Um, so we're happy with that group. And, and we've got three other guys that would have no issue coming into our lineup in terms of Simon Lundmark's a real high-end prospect that uh, we're really happy with. He's a first-year pro. And then we have Marcus Phillips, who, who came over in the deal from L.A. So, so we're really happy with, with our group. And, uh, and typically in the playoffs, you're going to have to rely on more guys than uh, you have in your lineup in game one. Uh, you mentioned the leadership group, and I have to ask you about David Gustafson. He jumped on the program with us last year. I had such a great uh, chat with him, and he is, I mean, a guy that I think probably players really like to play with and be around. His attitude um, really stands out because, I mean, he was the MVP of the Moose last year. Many people had him penciled in for a full-time NHL job. He got two call-ups and had, I mean, was the embodiment of Murphy's Law. I mean, got hurt early in both of those games, and he came back. What have you seen in David in his play this year and how he's handled some real adversity that would be would be crushing for a lot of young players um, and how he's handled it and continued to drive the the gust bus, if you will, for for the Moose? Yeah, he's been a consummate pro. He's definitely been hit with some bad luck, obviously, uh, both times up with the Jets there, taking injuries in the first two minutes of his ice time in games has been tough. But um, you would never know uh, with and whether he was, you know, a high-rated NHL prospect or uh, an American League contracted guy or, or somebody that's called up. He goes about his business. He treats people with a level of respect that, you know, you'd want your kids to to emulate. Um, he's, he's a professional in terms of he comes to the rink, he takes care of his body, um, and, and he's happy to see other people succeed. Um, in terms of his play, you know, he's... He's a beast in the face-off dot. That's something that I think is going to be something that he'll carry with him through his career. Uh, he's he's a 200-foot player that um, is really, really heavy on on pucks. You know, he's still a relatively young guy. I think we always forget how young he is because of how he plays, because of how he acts. He's, uh, he's really done a good job, and his uh, mental component has been good as well. I think, you know, dealing with what he's dealt with and being who he is um, – has really helped our group. He's he's a very good example of what our group is all about, and uh, he's a big part of our our puzzle here. Well, and Marty, I'd imagine, I mean, now with the opportunity to play in playoff games, you know, with that level of intensity, it would ratchet it up. I mean, the, the what David Gustafson brings to the club, I imagine will make him um, one of the most important players for the Manitoba Moose in all sorts of situations when you drop the puck Friday night. Yeah, he's for sure a guy that by the end of the game, you always realize like you're leaning on him. He, he's and I think Mark said it before is, uh, you know, Gus is basically going over the boards. You know that. Um, and he's a big part of our PK here. He, he's part of our power play all year. Uh, he's essentially played our first line. Um, so, you know, we're going to lean on him for sure. Uh, but uh, the good thing with Gus is that he's a good teammate. Um, he doesn't carry an aura around him where he expects that or has to be the guy he's he's uh, a guy that's wants to win and uh, 
I think he's he's done a really good job as a younger player being a leader on our group. And and like I said, he is young, but he wears an A. And uh, and that shouldn't go unnoticed for the fans of the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, to get a leadership uh, on a on American League team as a young person, that's uh, quite an accomplishment. So uh, so we're happy with Gus. We don't want to put more pressure on him. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's certainly a big part of it. Uh, another great story amongst uh, players that, you know, have really earned their opportunities is Christian Reichel. Um, he, of course, had some injury issues uh, here with the Jets. He's back right now. How is he looking and how big of a boost is it to get Reichel into that starting lineup for Manitoba? Yeah, no, uh, Reichel unfortunately took a hit close to the end of our uh, our regular season there. So more than likely he won't uh, start in the lineup, but uh, he's, he's going to be back for us. And he's another guy that has totally earned his NHL opportunity. Uh, I remember him coming to Penticton as an invited player in the Jets' development, and uh, he kind of caught our eye. He, he's obviously been raised well. Um, everything he does, he does the right way. And he's gone from trying to get an American League contract to now earning an NHL contract. And uh, there's not enough I can say about him. He's... Uh, he does all the little things right. Um, he obviously comes from a hockey background with his dad having played in the NHL. Um, he's really a student of the game. And uh, and what he brings for us is, again, very similar to Gus. He can play uh, at the end of the game when the goalie is pulled for or against you. Um, that's the level of comfort we have with him. And uh, and to have someone that you can rely on uh, like that is is outstanding, and uh, and we're happy to have him. Marty, uh, you know, as is the nature of being a coach in the American Hockey League, there's a lot of things that are out of your control. And sometimes guys are getting called up and, you know, you have to deal with it. Sometimes things work in your favor, though. And I'm sure the addition of Morgan Barron to the lineup after the trade deadline was nice. And he obviously got the call up, performed quite well. He's back now. Um, what does the addition of Barron do for the roster and how do you see him fitting in and uh, what sort of role do you think he can play for you come Calder Cup time? Well, he's going to be a real important part to us. He, uh, with the Jets, I think he played mostly wing. We know he's got the ability to play center. He's a big guy that skates well, um, has played power play, has played penalty kill. Um, so if you're going through all the boxes that you have to check, he essentially checks them all. Um, we know he's coming back from an NHL pace, so we're really hoping he can translate that into into some, you know, added uh, added help uh, going into Game One. Uh, but yeah, no, again, he's he's been someone that we're really pleased to have. Uh, he's got a relationship with some of our players from college, um, so he fits into the room well. Um, you know, when both Sandberg and Barron came back to practice, it was. It was just like they were back, smiles on their faces, working hard out at the end of practice, shooting pucks. It was uh, it was really fun. Um, you know, what Morgan Barron brings to the table, and uh, I know I've harped on this a lot, but he brings the intangible you don't see in terms of being a real good guy. I think he was a captain in Cornell uh, his last year. Um, he's got leadership ability, leadership qualities, uh, good human being. Um, so, you know, guys were happy to see Bear. Uh, back with us and and I think that um, he gained confidence in his in his stint with the Jets you know I think that was good for him he obviously played a little bit with New York this year but to go up and and be as successful as he was with with the Jets was good and and that confidence you see in practice he's he's shooting pucks he's he believes in himself and uh, as he should so so yeah we're happy and we like the versatility that he brings you know center wing 
uh, wherever you put him, he, he basically says yes, sir, and, and, and does an excellent job with it. Marty, a couple other players I quickly wanted to ask you about are a couple other newcomers that were recently signed by the Jets, Henry Neekin and Daniel Torgus and Torgerson with a couple goals in four games. What have you seen from those uh, those two young men, how they fit in with the group? And I mean, I know it's getting a little busier with other players coming in. I mean, do either of them uh, potentially fit into the lineup in this Milwaukee series? I think both of them have a legitimate chance to be players in the playoffs. I don't know if they're going to start game one, but um, they come from good programs because they defend really well. Uh, anytime you have a young player or a new player jumping up a level, um, as much as the fans want to see the flash and the, and the point production, um, what we want to see is, are they responsible? Can we trust them? And the answer is yes with both of them. Um, Henry, uh, having been a centerman, he's done a really good job as a low forward in our end. And in the games that he's played, he's he's been really strong. You know, I, I kind of expected to be in the video room with him after game one, telling him, hold on, you know, like be, be below the puck and, and go here, go there. Virtually nothing. Um, you, you talk to him on the bench about one thing, they pick it up, they move on, they move forward. And then... Uh, for him, he, he's done a good job of uh, skating the puck through the, the neutral zone, and you see the offensive ability that he has. In Torgerson, um, you know, he he is as strong as they come. He's a big, big man, really, really heavy on his stick. I think he surprised a few guys in his games uh, at the end of the regular season. They went to take a run at a, a young player, and, and they found out what was behind it. Um, he's, he's a lot like Gus in terms of his strength and his – uh, on the puck and in the low zone. So, um, you know, it was really exciting to see both of them. Um, we played a, a five game and eight day stretch. So we got uh, an opportunity to put some guys in and those two guys really took advantage of their opportunity. And, uh, and that's good for us now knowing who they are and, and what they're all about going into the playoffs is important. Um, but at the end of the day, they mo both made positive first impressions. And, and that's important when you're new to an organization and new to the coaching staff, um, they made good first impressions, and, and we hope that carries forward. It's the Moose in Milwaukee dropping the puck in the Calder Cup playoffs. Best of five, beginning with games one and two in Milwaukee Friday and Saturday before returning for games three through five. Uh, just quickly before we go, Marty, I've got to ask you, this is sort of a unique playoff format. I mean, you guys won home ice, but you're starting on the road. Um, what's the approach going into that? I mean, obviously you want to win, but does it change anything from the normal 2-2-1 two, two, uh, when you go into it? Yeah, it's a little different. Uh, I think I think it was three or four years ago we uh, we played Grand Rapids in a scenario like this, and you know we we chose to have the final three games at home, and um, it it was a choice that we had. But yeah, it's it's not an easy choice. It's very different than uh, the typical playoff series. You know, most are usually seven games, where it's two two one one one, or like you said, two two and one. Uh, but you know what? It doesn't matter. We'll play anywhere. We're uh, where we believe in ourselves. We, we know that we have tough competition ahead of us, uh, but we've played this team 12 times. Um, there's really no secrets uh, that either team has. Uh, we know it's going to be a battle. We know it's going to be a grind. We know that playoff intensity is going to ramp up. Uh, but yeah, is the schedule unique? Yes. Are we going to make it an excuse or, or feel like it's a huge advantage? No. It, it doesn't matter where we play. We know we're, we're in for a battle, and, uh, and we're excited about that battle. Marty, last one for you. It sounds like the team's excited. They're prepared. Uh, you know the Milwaukee Admirals very well, and you and Mark have been going over all the game plans. What's the most important thing for the Manitoba Moose to do to be successful in this first round and move on? I think for us, it's to stick to what we're good at. Uh, we're a real good forechecking team. 
hopefully we can um, establish that and and let our play go from there. But uh, like I said, we have a lot of respect for Milwaukee. Um, they're a good team as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I think you know if you watch our team, if we're if we're strong on the forecheck, then we're probably playing the game we want to play. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, fans will be ready to go when the team gets back here next week. Uh, hopefully we can be talking about a, a great scenario for the Moose after the first two games. Congratulations on your great regular season. Good luck in the playoffs, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you and the fellas back here on Canada Life Center Ice next week. Yeah, I really appreciate your time, and uh, we're really looking forward to the support uh, on Wednesday. Oh, man, great Moose conversation with Marty Johnson. Really appreciate him joining us in tomorrow. Before the guys take off to Milwaukee, we will be joined by Jeff Malott, a return visit for Malott, who got a nice little bump from WST, his appearance the first time. Hopefully it happens again, uh, but he will join us tomorrow. Really looking forward to having Jeff back on the program, and thanks to uh, Marty, and of course, thanks to Daniel Fink, the voice of the Moose, for uh, having that. And of course, CJOB will have both of those games with the Fink on the call Friday and Saturday for games one and two before the series comes back to Winnipeg. Uh, well, it's not golf time yet for the Manitoba Moose, and hopefully it won't be for a while. However, for us at Breezy Bend, opening day is May 13th. Cannot wait to get out there this year. If you're looking for a great golfing home for your family for the future with great juniors and women's programs and amazing men's night and so much more, find out more at breezybend.ca. And if you want to give a call, Corey Johnson, our great friend, general manager of the year, uh, we'll be happy to talk to you about options for Breezy Bend going into the future. Again, it's breezybend.ca. Um, I'm using my Vita Health, uh, Vita Health mug today, but I am filling it with the good stuff, and that, of course, is Culligan Water. When we're talking water in Winnipeg, you know we're talking about the experts. Family-owned for over 65 years is Culligan. They've got it all. Water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems, drinking water systems, and citywide water delivery services, as well as commercial and industrial water products and solutions. Whether you need water for your home, the cottage coming up this summer, or your office, Culligan's there for you. 1200 Sargent Avenue. Give them a call at 694-5180 or hit them up online at drinkculligan.com. Uh, Donnie and the guys at Manitoba Battery are ready for summer. Uh, boats, ATVs, golf carts, hot rods, they've got it all. And as I said before, bottom line is they're going to save you time and money. Instead of wasting your time heading down to Costco uh, to pick up, for instance, uh, what sort of a battery are we talking about? Uh, as far as the uh, a big battery, Deep cycle battery. This is what I'm talking about. Sorry, I lost myself there for a minute. Um, you're going to go down there. You're going to spend some time parking your car. You're going to wait in line. You're not going to have anyone that knows what they're talking about to help you. And you're going to spend 125 bucks minimum. Or you can call Manitoba Battery. Order the same one for 110, less than 110 bucks. They'll deliver it to your door that same evening and buy your old battery for 10 bucks. The whole process is going to take you five minutes save you $25 an hour of your time and you won't burn any gas, which is significant these days as well. That's the kind of math that works for Winnipeggers that always love a good deal. Manitobabattery.com is where to find them online or give them a call 783-8787 to save yourself time and money. Big shout out to Donnie and the gang over at Manitoba Battery. And of course, our friends at Royal Sports are ready for summer. Whether you have a soccer player in the family, softball, baseball, 
looking to get active with their big fitness department or looking forward to dominating spring and summer on a new bike royal has it all not to mention the best selection of licensed merchandise from all the leagues in north america as well as soccer around the world royal sports 750 pemina highway and you can check them out online or follow them on instagram actually at royal sports pemina for the latest merchandise drops and sales information all right well it was nice getting ready for some playoff hockey for the manitoba moose uh, but as you know uh the jets topics just continue to uh, be ver- with us right now coaching as well as more fallout from the end of the season. And I've been looking forward all week to having Murat Atesh on the program. Let's bring in Murat from The Athletic now to get to it. First things first, how are you doing, Murat? On to the offseason. Here we go. On to the offseason. And it's not getting remotely boring anytime <laughs> soon. Um, I mean, the content is coming. The The coaches are not being renewed. We've got some guys to talk about who might be the next head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, we have Mark Scheifele talking about his future in uncertain terms. I know you've touched on that all week, Pierre-Luc Dubois. I mean, he was at a Montreal cafe by evening on Monday after uh, Winnipeg Jets exit interviews went hours late. Uh, it's a time in Winnipeg, and this is going to be such a transformative offseason for the Jets. Well, you know what? Okay, let's just quickly, because I do want to talk about everything we heard from the players and sort of the rap, but, you know, sort of the news today, and I you know, heard about this last night, and Elliot Friedman spoke about it this morning on 32 Thoughts, um, about, you know, some of the names that, you know, are coming out for, you know, potential interviews for the Winnipeg Jets head coaching job. Um, I guess first question, uh, what did you think about the uh, the announcement? And I don't even know whether this was announcement. I mean, it was about as couched as you could get. But the coaching staff will have the opportunity to apply for their jobs. But um, they're basically not coming back with the exception of Wade Flaherty, which I think to most makes sense considering the relationship he has with Connor Hellebuck and uh, Eric Comrie. Uh, but the two names... And I wouldn't say that it's surprising considering, you know, some old ties to the people running this hockey club is Scott Arneal, of course, who was the coach of the Manitoba Moose when they went to the Calder Cup finals back in 2009, former head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets, and a guy that has been on the bench with two pretty successful coaches over the course of the past 10 years with Elaine Vigneault and uh, as well as Peter LaViolette right now with the Washington Capitals. And the other name is Randy Carlisle. And Randy Carlisle may be a little bit more of an interesting choice. I mean, certainly uh, very experienced. uh, Two stints with the Ducks, stints with the uh, stint with the Toronto Maple Leafs, a Stanley Cup winning coach, um, and one that I think many people would qualify as a bit of a hard ass, uh, which has been the comment that on. First off, your thoughts on uh, the decision to all but announce that they're moving on from this present coaching staff and. what did you think about those two names being floated out by Friedman earlier today? Well, yeah, I'll start with the, uh, the, the guys on their way out. What a strange way to make that kind of announcement. I mean, when have you ever, and I know it's happened every once in a while in NHL history, but the idea of somebody interviewing for their own job, I mean, does Dave Lowry want to head coach the Winnipeg Jets next year? Adam Lowry was talking about how tough that relationship w- was. They didn't speak. They, they made an arrangement between the two of them not to necessarily speak outside of the outside of the rink. That changes the family dynamic a little bit. You've got guys going through a tumultuous season and they want to like they want to be able to shit talk the coach. And not always because the coach is wrong, but because that's a dressing room in the National Hockey League. 
they're not going to do that in front of an extremely popular teammate like Adam Lowry. Like they can trust that it's not going to go all the way up, but they're not going to be that rude to a guy that they care about in, in terms of that sort of stuff as well. That whole dynamic is, is flawed. And so, no, he's, he's not going to come back. I, I would be astonished if they interviewed him with any sincerity and to, to frame it that way is, I don't know. It just seems like a soft play. And, and I mean that pejoratively, which I don't often go that way, you know, when I talk about this sort of stuff, right? Um, that seems awkward to me. And then the same thing with the assistants. And I, I recognize that because you sort of want to leave the door open for that theoretical possibility that the head coach that you bring in assesses the assistants available and actually maybe does want to bring back, say, Matt Prefontaine as well or something to that effect. I mean, you want to leave that theoretically open, but this, it, it's just it's just an awful way, an awfully soft wiggle word, political way to say something, which is these guys won't be back. And so I, yeah, I didn't like that at all. I didn't like that at all. In terms of, uh, in terms of the future, it looks like it's intimately connected to Winnipeg Jets past. Uh, Scott Arneal, somebody who I've thought about a little bit as well uh, in that fan survey that went up this week, you know, one of the options when I ask people, who do you want that next coach to be? You know, a famous NHL coach like, you know, Mike Bab Babcock isn't in the NHL right now uh, for good reason, based on what happened in Toronto, to be sure. Um, or perhaps an, an up and comer with no connections to the NHL or an experienced assistant. And I started that list with Scott Arneal for a reason. And it's because Mark Chipman and True North believe in relationships. They have good relationships with people like Arneal and with, with Carlisle as well, to be sure, based on history in Winnipeg. Um, Arneal was an IH, IHL moose, as I recall, as well. I mean, this is something that goes way, way back. And when I talked to Mark Chipman about coaching in October, um, we talked about Paul Maurice, we talked about Pascal Vincent, we talked about everybody uh, who had come and gone through Winnipeg Jets, Manitoba moose ranks. And the one thing that he made clear at that point was that he sincerely believed in every single person who came through the door and then exited it, hoping that they would go on to bigger and better things, whether that was Pascal Vincent, whether it was even Claude Noel, whether, you know, at that time, Paul Maurice seemed to have the, the security, he stepped away. So he's, he's a big believer in the people that's been around. So as much as folks say, hey, Bruce Boudreaux in Vancouver, that's an issue right now. That might not happen. What if New York Islanders let Barry Trotz go? Uh, sure. I mean, that's not going to happen. Um, what about all these famous, famous retreads uh, around the NHL who might command, you know, three million, four million, five million per year? I don't think that's the route that's going to happen here. I think it's very realistic. Um, it's very, very realistic for potential options with Jets connections in the past go. Um, and then Huss. Just on Randy Carlisle, the one thing, like there's lots to love. The hard-ass nature, I think, would be a, a welcome bit of fun here, to be sure. But that Stanley Cup, to attribute that Stanley Cup when a deep, stacked playoff team got Chris Pronger for free heading into 2007 for Ladislav Smead and Joffrey Lupul, who are depth players on a team that was already an up-and-comer, I mean, that's not a coaching win. That's a coaching facilitation, in my opinion. Um, so as much as the disposition might be welcome, I'm not, I would be extremely skeptical of a resume that begins with part of a cup winning team when it's as stacked as the 2007 Anaheim Ducks were. Well, the interesting thing about Carlisle, and I mean, you can, I mean, listen, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, there's only one team that wins every year. And when you have it on your resume, you have it on your resume. And I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you what you just said. 
He also came back to the Anaheim Ducks in 1617 and brought them to the conference finals. Now, you know, I think with all coaches we've seen, maybe in some cities more than Winnipeg, there is the law of diminishing returns that accelerates uh, quicker in other spots. Uh, but three years later, he was out. But it wasn't like he has just had this one year of success. Um, and, you know, even in Toronto, I mean, listen, that was part of the uh, part of this drought we've talked about for the last 18 years. They weren't able to get over the top, um, but, you know, did bring them to the playoffs, did have a uh, have a team that the challenge. But I, I do think that if anything, we're looking at what happened in the second round with Anaheim uh, with the results that they were to get early on, because make no mistake about it. Whoever comes into this position, Murat, this is not going to be starting from scratch and trying to build something. This is trying to reverse everything that happened this year and get this team back to being a playoff team first and foremost and one that can compete in the toughest division in the National Hockey League. And I would say the results Carlisle had in round two with Anaheim potentially would help them. But to me, I mean, every coach will coming in will have, you know, certain things on their resume as far as what their teams did when they were behind the bench. To me, what's most interesting is what type of head coach makes the most sense for this Winnipeg Jets team. Um, and listen, we're going to get into potential changes with this roster. I think we all agree it will look different than it was, you know, at the end of the Seattle Kraken game on Sunday afternoon. But I'm interested in your thoughts on, you know, as far as qualities of a head coach, what you would be looking at in a guy that can come in, fit in well, and get the most out of the roster that will be presented to him when they drop the puck in October. Yeah, I can put together a bit of a mental checklist. And it's possible that Randy Carlisle fits those things, to be clear. Uh, the current situation in Winnipeg, clearly there's some locker room strife. The number one issue that we've heard repeated throughout the season is the A-word, accountability. Winnipeg has not necessarily felt the players want to be held accountable. You heard Paul Stastny say that, and certainly many players have voiced that in various ways over the course of the season. They know when uh, players who don't commit to defense get big minutes. They know when shifts go too long. They know. They know. And despite the the rosy attempt at the first half of the season, media wise or what have you, you know they they know that things were missing on that front. So. Okay, you have the pieces, you have a lot of talent, even if you're forced into trading Mark Shifley, which isn't a guarantee, but seems likely. Um, you, you're bringing talent back. This isn't for a pure future situation. So there's a lot of good things. So the number one thing that the Winnipeg Jets head coach has to be able to do is generate buy-in while maintaining accountability to performance. If that can be done with you know a player's coach mentality, somebody who's going to win over the personalities of the room, great. If that needs to be done via the hard-ass old-school methods, well, that's good, too, as long as the results are there. The issue with that, with Winnipeg, that I would see is that we've seen such long shelf lives for coaches and staff over the course of Winnipeg Jets history. That's a Mark Chipman stable. He believes in that. So are you going to have... How are those two philosophies going to conflict? The idea that somebody's going to be in, be a hard-ass... Um, do what he needs to do, maybe even piss, uh, well, definitely piss a lot of guys off, uh, change minutes arrangements, hold people accountable to new standards, better standards, all of that sort of stuff, and then put together another eight years behind the bench. I don't think that that's necessarily, like, I think there's some conflict there. But if Winnipeg's willing to go for a, willing to wear a slightly shorter term and have a guy come in and be that kind of 
a hard ask by all means to be sure. But like I say, number one, accountability to performance with buy-in. These guys can't hate this guy. Um, they, they have to be able to respect them. So, you know, probably that means a veteran and a veteran with ties to the organization is possible. Well, buy-in is a key word because it was quite obvious that the Winnipeg Jets didn't have complete buy-in right now. And, um, you know, we'd heard it over and over from a number of players through the last couple of weeks of the season, and it came out loud and clear. Um, I know you were uh, covering the team and covering the game on Sunday um, as well as Monday. Um, before we get to Mark Shifley and what he had to say, um, what did you think about, you know, a number of the comments that we maybe discussed a little bit last week, but there were more coming through afterwards, right up until um, Paul Stastny spoke with, and the more I think about this, I've probably listened to it 30 times. Maybe the most damning indictment of teammates from a veteran player, a respected veteran player that I can ever remember at the end of the season. Um We'll get to Shifley in a minute, but everything else that you were hearing from the rest of the rank and file of the Winnipeg Jets, Marat. And Paul Stastny, what a guy, honestly. The, the idea of him re-signing last summer, you know, the value they got from that. This is a guy that scored the game-winning goal in Game 7 against the Nashville Predators to take Winnipeg the furthest that the Jets have ever got. He's the one center with whom Line and Ehlers, as just young pups in the NHL, had positive possession metrics. They had all kinds of offense, all of that stuff. Then he comes back. Last year, he calls out the team for cheating, having cheat in its game, which was a necessary thing to say. And probably, in a lot of ways, the beginning of this discourse becoming truly public. Um, and then this year, all the different moments where, where he said things like this, even leading up to those comments, and I'll get into those comments, but the other thing that you can say about Paul Stastny is there is zero cheat in his game, right? So respected veteran, to be sure, um, family dynasty in the NHL, to be sure, been around locker rooms forever, all of those things, all of those on-ice accomplishments I just mentioned, well over 1,000 games as well, hit 800 points. But maybe the best thing he ever does for the Winnipeg Jets organization is to speak those truths as plainly as he did on Sunday. I thought that that was remarkable. I mean... Not just to say what he said, but every detail of that. Blake Wheeler had already given me a good answer. I was asking Blake Wheeler about the, the team's defensive issues. He, you know, when was the last time you heard Blake Wheeler say the team's 200-foot commitment wasn't there? I thought that was a nice moment for the captain for, for a beat there. Um, and so the door to a little bit of candor was open. But then Stastny comes in with the Kanye West, hold on, I'm going to let you finish kind of deal. <laughs> like, I'm... I'm just going to hold on. I got to jump in. And then he says what he said. Then he says that like this is a guy with nothing to lose with all the respect in the world who might sign in Winnipeg this summer if they can arrange it. But I haven't tended to expect that to be the case. I, I still don't think that's necessarily the play. So he gets to say whatever he wants. And the thing that he wants to say is that it's clear Winnipeg's players sometimes treat each other without respect, with too much focus on individual play. That's the ultimate non-hockey attitude, right? It's about the jersey, like it's about the crest on the chest and not the name on the back, or am I right? Like, so that was damning. And the fact, but the fact is though, Hus, like, you know, this is me telling a story of that moment. We saw that. And if we saw players cheat, if players half-assed defensive back-checking, play wishful defense, hoping like, like a peewee player that the puck's going to bounce in the right direction and go the other way so you can pad your stats. I mean, we saw that all season. 
And if we see that, the players have seen it and understand it better. So, you know, we talk about guys wanting to feel accountable, wanting to be held to high standards. Like this was somebody's opportunity to speak his mind to to the lot of us, to the to the world at large. And and that's significant. And it speaks to the fact that real major substantive change has to happen in Winnipeg because things have gone truly sour. You know, um, it, it did seem like he amplified and made it uh, abundantly clear that everything that we had heard from a number one of those players that had been bubbling under the surface not only was there, but was even, uh, he amplified it, as I said, and made it abundantly clear for anyone that maybe hadn't been paying attention what what was happening and needed to be said. And maybe it was the it was the freedom of being an unrestricted free agent, potentially being back. But to be honest, and maybe this is just my perspective on this, especially, and we'll get to Shifley and the potential that he's not a Winnipeg Jet next season. I think that that it would have been so easy for a guy the UFA to not even do the media at the end of the year, just come in and just say, yeah, you know, Blake, you're the captain, take it over. It was obvious it was important to him to say that. Um, as I said, the question wasn't even to Blake Wheeler. It was, was to Blake Wheeler. He popped in and said, let me take that one and and, and drop that bomb. So I, I don't know where I'm sitting right now. I think it's maybe more important than ever to do what they can do to get Paul Stastny back. Never mind the fact that you might need to have Paul Stastny moving back into the middle, depending on what happens with the potential Shifley trade. But I mean, I've referred to him as the conscience of this team for a long time. Uh, if there was any doubt about that, we got it on Sunday. And I would argue that Paul Stassi's importance to this organization is even higher today than it may have been at any point in his term or his two terms of duty here in the peg. I mean, yes, right? Like, it, it, astonishingly, yes, at this stage, at 36 years old, at a time that, you know, even when Winnipeg acquired him from Vegas, there was questions that has his offense fallen off because he'd had some bad percentage runs the last year. Um, all of these things. But yeah, absolutely. And man, if if you're Paul Stastny at this stage, probably you've made a fair bit of money. It's probably about winning. It's probably about culture. Maybe not every team is calling, but Make no mistake, the guy had a good year. He's into the 40-something points, providing sound defense, a defensive conscience for other players. Um, you can watch him in his own zone. He's got it. You can watch him um, read the chemistry of a guy like Nikolai Ehlers. They have it. Um, there is no cheat in his game, which stood out uh, at times during the Mark, Fly, Mark Shifley flyby era, right? There's contrast on the very same shift. Um, and... And to think, like, I think of Paul Stastny, you say, you say conscience of the team, that's, yeah, I, I like that. I think Switzerland as well, like, in the sense that there's there's no real conflict around Paul Stastny. I mean, the veterans will get along with him. Um, the, the young players will respect and admire him. He can speak to difficult issues with calm, with experience, and, and all of those sorts of things. Um, man, and if you need another center, absolutely. It's astonishing to me that the Jets didn't run him in the middle um uh, this season, or at least try that a little bit more than they did. I say astonishing. It's not, actually, because I think he helped Mark Shifley out quite a bit in that regard. All to say, I haven't tended to think that he's going to re-sign here. I have tended to think that uh, he's on his way out, that Winnipeg maybe should have traded for assets. But then to hear him speak and, and, and reflect on just how important he could be moving forward, you'd understand why Kevin Sheveldayoff says he'd love to have him back. You may even understand why he kept him around at the expense of assets, because 
what is a second round pick or a third round pick or whatever it's going to be next to that role that he can play on that team as as a leader with that respect and with that honesty. No, there's no doubt about it. And and I mean, and I guess this takes us to Mark Shifley in that, you know, and and listen, we'll get to the comments in a second, but I think a big part of what has kind of transpired has been over the past month or so has been sort of a separation because let's face it, for a long time, the leadership group, if you will, the guys that this team was all about, that everything seemed to be molded around and for was Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley. And, you know, one of the things that Dave Lowry did was split those guys up. And and we've talked about this before. I think Wheeler sort of thrived in, in that. I mean, he played some of his best hockey down the stretch and even himself said it was really disappointing, even that they weren't going to the playoffs, but he didn't have a few more games to play with Nikolai Ehlers and Paul Stastny with the fun that they were having on the ice and the connection that they were having. Um, so maybe that was calculated as well, something that needed to happen, but maybe separating those two, because for a long time, when you talked about the Winnipeg Jets, uh, you talked about Wheeler and Shifley and then everybody else. But um, there had been a lot of talk about Mark. We've spent many, many hours on this program discussing what's happened to his game, where he is as a leader of this hockey club. Um, and it became evident to me throughout the last couple weeks of what we were hearing from the players that, you know, everything that I think we were seeing with our eyes and taking from the demeanor, both on and off the ice, that something was, was wrong, um, was clear, especially when Paul Stastny spoke, but, uh, then Mark Shifley came up and the, 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 the difference from what we heard from that player, as opposed to pretty much every other member of the team was stunning in a lot of ways. Um, and you know, I, oh, listen, I, I've talked a lot about this over the last couple of days. You were there. Um, what was your immediate reaction to what you heard from Mark Shifley? And what does this mean going forward for the Jets? And a guy that everyone thought was going to be the next captain would be a Jet for life. I mean, I'll tell you the the absolute truth. When, you know, when highly respected colleague Scott Billick asked the question, uh, how do you see your future? I thought to myself, this is going to be a one and done. This is going to be one sentence. We're on the way out. I, in that exact beat, didn't even understand the importance of the question, to tell you the truth. I thought that we were so headed for a vanilla, typical response that I was just getting ready for the next beat. But then Mark Shifley says what he says, and he acknowledges that he wants to take a break and look and see. Um, so let, let me divide this into two things. If you take... If you take the literal value of the words, if you take if you take the message and you just divorce it from the year, what he essentially said is, I have to step back and think about things and then think about my future. Um, I have a decision to make. And, and to tell you the truth, that in and of itself, not that stunning. There's, there's part of it that's stunning, the fact that he has a contract that holds him until 2024, two seasons left. But when Pierre-Luc Dubois said the same thing in more self-aware words the previous week, I thought to myself, yeah, Winnipeg is in tumult right now. There is an issue in Winnipeg right now. And I'd want to know who the head coach was. I'd want to know what the roster looked like before signing a, a long-term deal like Pierre-Luc Dubois might. Or he, I, I think he's probably looking at one year before things, are, uh, before things are said and done. So I thought that that was a reasonable take from Dubois. Why should I criticize it when it comes from Shifley? And the big difference, I think, there are two, are that two... 2024, that's two years away, Shifley's under contract. So the idea that he has a decision to make, I mean, that speaks to relationships that are pretty far gone. Maybe not 
fixable. Like maybe they are fixable. I've seen a lot of in the course of NHL watching. I mean, conflict does heal sometimes. That, that is surprising. If if Mike Comrie can go back to Edmonton after um, all the tumult that surrounded his trading away, look up the Mike Comrie Edmonton saga and be happy. Any any relationship can be fixed. That's an aside, but. It speaks to a broken relationship or a breaking relationship. That's a significant thing. And the fact that um, and the fact that Mark Shifley put so many eyes and me's into that answer, that's where you can start to nitpick. Because what that implies is that he sees himself as separate from the problem. The problem must be solved, and then he'll make his decision. That's what the if you want to go English essay on that on that response. If you want to write it out, read all the eyes and me's. Um, and separate it from the lack of we or team thinking, it's this sense that he is separate from what is going wrong in Winnipeg. And I think if you watch this brilliant, gifted, offensive wizard play, um, create chances for himself and for his teammates, score the goal like he did coast-to-coast against Colorado, the 2018 playoffs where every time he was on the ice, he was a threat to score, and you contrast it to the moments where he does not put in the effort, it does speak to a player who is part of the issue in Winnipeg. And the inability to frame it as such, at least say we, will all be looking in the mirror, that kind of stuff that you heard from Neil Pionk and others. I mean, if that's truly how he feels, there's a tremendous amount of self-reflection that this amazing hockey player still needs to go through. And I think it's possible. I mean, like at 29 years old, you know, young men go through transformations. They do. They they can. Maybe a change of scenery is what's necessary to, to spark that reflection, to spark the willingness to think of himself as part of what's going wrong as opposed to separate from it. Or, of course, maybe his private thinking is different from what he said publicly. But that's that's a really troubling perspective if we can take it at the literal value of all of those eyes and me's. Well, and, and it would be troubling for any player on the roster. I mean, it would be troubling if it was, uh, you know, a third-line player or your fifth or sixth defenseman. But to me, it's exponentially more concerning when it's a player in Mark Shifley that has been, like, I mean, I, I talked about this yesterday on the program. Uh, you know, like his thoughts, and of course, I mean, the timing of Dayoff speaking before the exit interview and not really able to find out what came out of that, I'm sure was frustrating to everyone, and I'm sure was by design. But when he says, you know, I'm going to need to hear some things, I, 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 I ask you this, what more could any organization give Mark Shifley than he hasn't already been given here in Winnipeg? I mean, he has been the cornerstone. He, so many of his flaws, so many of the things that have obviously irked all of his teammates had been overlooked for years, uh, had been tolerated, to be honest, had been, you know, you take the bad with the good. Um, and it's obviously rankled so many other players on this team. Like, I, I, I'm not sure if he pays much attention to what the other players had been saying over the couple weeks, um, but I kind of took that maybe he had because this was, you know, everyone else had said their piece and his decision was, okay, obviously I'm on the outs. And, you know, and, and listen, I mean, I, I, uh, his first comment to me, Murat, was a, sales pitch to 31 other general managers in the National Hockey League, to be perfectly honest. Talking about how he likes his game, how he's looking forward to next season, how he's in the prime of his career, all of that. Um, and I'd said for a while that I, you know, 
regardless of whether you think that the Jets should or should not be considering trading Mark Shifley if this is an issue, looking at his season this year with the ups and the downs and the lack of engagement at times, I mean, I was the first one to say, I'm not sure there's a player in the league that could use a change of scenery more than Mark. And to me, it came all out at one point where we're hearing some honest self-reflection from so many other players. And it was a complete lack of self-awareness and the A-word, accountability. There was none of it there. And for a guy that had been, you know, leading the team at ice time, leading the team in everything all along, or a team like this, to have none of that there, I think, well, honestly, all it did was echo everything we'd heard from every other member of the Winnipeg Jets up until he stepped in front of that microphone. Yeah, I mean, it, it stood out by its contrast. It absolutely did. I mean, uh, to have Blake Wheeler and Paul Stastny say what they said and then have Mark Shifley come up and say that right after that, you know, I agree with you. That That's a stark contrast. I think in Winnipeg, from a, from a perspective sense, um, outscoring his defensive issues was always kind of the golden ticket. The thought that he could take over games on the offensive side of things Winnipeg could win um, the backing he would have had from Paul Maurice, the the famous statue quote, which may go down as one of the most haunting uh, things Paul Maurice has ever said. Um, it's it's this sense, I guess. How do I say this? That if you outscore, yeah, the the idea of giving Mark Shifley twenty plus minutes every single night, top power play, top uh, five on five center, never thinking that Pierre Luc Dubois should play more, um, all of those sorts of things, it makes sense when he's outscoring his problems. Kyle Connor, for example, I think gets lost in his defensive zone sometimes. His metrics defensively pretty poor. Great stick, great offensive mind, great forechecker in some capacities, but. Some of the same defensive issues. It just kind of looks like he's trying and maybe a little bit lost sometimes. You you can you can find clips where he looks unsure, and I think a lot of people would look unsure in Winnipeg's defensive schemes this year. But the metrics are similar between those guys. But Kyle Connor outscored his issues, scored ninety three points, preached accountability, did all of those things. So the perception is a lot more in Kyle Connor's favor, um, and I think that he's saying and doing the right things in those ways. Where you don't, where in Mark Shifley's case. You've seen some sulk. You've seen some um, some attitude that you would question. You would you would absolutely question, and I think that's fair. Um, and now that he was like really rocked by percentages, like all those shots that he missed, he skied. He was robbed on early in the season. I mean, he had a pretty poor by Mark Shifley standards point total heading into the All Star break. Came out of it exploded, got all the bounces back, and then some. And all of a sudden, he finishes the year above a point per game. I think had he been a point per game or above it all season long, there would have been a little bit less stuff around it. Um, But still, like you say, all of that is kind of noise because what more could the Jets have offered? I mean, if you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs and Tampa Bay Lightning, I don't think a single forward played more than 20 minutes. I don't think a single forward played maybe one per team, played less than 10 uh, in game one of that series. And you can go on, Carolina, Boston, et cetera. You can, you can look at these playoff teams and how they manage their minutes. I think other teams look at the Winnipeg Jets and they think to themselves, those guys are going to get tired and they're not going to back check well enough. So we can play our stars against them and it's going to be fine. No matter how gifted that, that Mark Shifley, the top center is. Yeah. Um, you know, if I had just seen a quote from a player, uh, you know, from what had been said or maybe had heard and didn't know who it was, 
And if it was, say, I could understand Nikolai Ehlers saying something like that. If he was that type of a player and he was in that mood saying, you know what, I need to figure out where this team is going forward because I have done all this and I'm never on the top power plane. I haven't been on the top line. I would almost have time for that. But when you, like anyone that's paid attention knows, and I mean, I'm not sure what more this team could have done or given Mark Shifley throughout the entire stretch of his term here, but especially this season. Um, and and to, to be where we are, it's interesting. Where do you think this leaves Blake Wheeler right now? On something that could resemble an island without a great deal of self-reflection on his part as well. And, you know, we spend so much time talking about Shifley. I think I do it because I see greatness and the potential for greatness as opposed to the goodness, which we've seen. I think that's why I spend so much time on Shifley. He could be more than what we see with a different sort of perspective and with self-reflection. I think he has access to a lot more. And I try... I hope I show empathy for that. I feel like I rant sometimes. I hope that there's empathy for that because greatness is available to him. Without him, Blake Wheeler does become something of an island, especially if Paul Stastny is not retained. Um, he has been, those two have been uh, the leadership group with, you know, Dustin Bufflin, uh, now Josh Morrissey, et cetera. I think those two have been the real drivers in a lot of ways. Um, Wheeler, Wheeler's notes about youth can't be can't go unnoticed by the 25 year olds 26 year olds who are driving results i guarantee you that there are members of the winnipeg jets who actively think to themselves nikolai Ehler should play more than blake wheeler does like that is it would be unfathomable for me to think that players have have watched what has happened and not come to their own conclusions about who are the drivers for results on that team unfathomable so what can Blake Wheeler do? Because we have some moments of great leadership. That hug he gives Josh Morrissey at a crucial moment for him. There are good things that he does. He's not a guy that should be retiring. He's a middle six player. He can still put up points. There's He's added some things to his game in terms of how he cuts into the middle a little, a lot more slowly than he used to. There's, there's a player there and a person there who can be part of a winning hockey club. But I think that the tension around him, the the spitting nails, as he's you know he says that he does, um, the the intensity, the all of those sorts of things, I think that it, it it's going to be so hard for him. It would be such a challenge to look at yourself as the number one guy for so long, wear the captaincy for so long, be the number one right winger for so long. Watch the steady incline, right? Because. He came into the league slowly. He was on a deep Boston Bruins team. He took till his mid-20s before he was getting real primo minutes. It took until his 30s when the power play helped him hit back-to-back 91-point seasons. Everything has gone up and up and up. And to watch his teammates go through the modern version, which is 25-year-old players are the drivers. Like Blake Wheeler does not help the Jets win more than Nikolai Ehlers or Kyle Connor or Pierre-Luc Dubois does. And then willfully say, okay, like, I'm one of the most competitive people ever. I spit nails often. This is Blake Wheeler type. You know, he says that he spits nails. He's tough to be around sometimes. And then and then look in the mirror and say, okay, you know what? I'm going to step back. And I'm going to be the, you know, let's let's real really push for the second line or third line, whatever helps the team win. That's got to be tough. And then to hold back that competitive spirit when things aren't going wrong and he has his own ideas. I mean, just from a human being perspective, the ability to make that transition would be so remarkable. And again, Blake Wheeler may have access to it. That's a challenge. I'm trying to express empathy again because, I mean, he was such an underrated elite player forever, right? Like, 
he'll have specific views about what it means to be a successful NHL player, what that path should look like, all those sorts of things. But at this stage, the reality is the Winnipeg Jets would go further with fewer minutes from the guy and with less of himself being the the focal point of, of the leadership, in my opinion. And if he can integrate himself into this new wave, the Kyle Connor that's talking about accountability, the Nikolai Ehlers, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down the line, well, then you've got something good. You've got Joe Thornton playing on the third line and eventually towards 40 years old playing on the fourth, all those sorts of, all those sorts of things. There, there's good available to the Jets, but that transition seems tough. I think he'll be facing just as much self-reflection this summer as a guy in, in Shifley's shoes should. Yeah, no, and I and I do believe I think there is the possibility that Wheeler can be here and be part of the solution moving forward, assuming that Shifley is gone. But it will be a different arrangement, and it will take um, many of the things that you just mentioned. Murad Atesh from The Athletic is with us. Uh, Murad, I knew we'd get going on a bunch of these topics coming out of the last season. But uh, for Athletic subscribers, if they go to the site, they'll see part two of the Jets fan survey. I'm just quickly before we go, why don't you tease the piece a little bit and um, uh, maybe uh, anything that really surprised you coming out of it or uh, uh, what were the big takeaways were from Winnipeg Jets fans um, after a disappointing season? I know we've heard from a lot of them, both uh, in your inbox and here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Yeah, it's just so good to give people a voice to to really to to speak out and and to give their opinions on on what went wrong, what the team should do, uh, who you want as coach, what the next generation of Jets should look like. And you know, I broke it into two pieces because there was so much heat and so much fury, and I and I asked so many questions too, and I wanted to give time to really explore every answer. I would say part two, the one that went live um, just yesterday, it's the one where you know, fans really make decisions and were challenged. And I think some of the more difficult conversations happened in terms of what didn't go right. What do you believe about Jets leadership? What do you believe about coaching? Who should be the next coach? I would say the fun surprise, though, because one of the choices was picking next year's roster. Who are your top six defensemen going into next season? Josh Morrissey was number one with a bullet. And the second player on that list was a, was a stunner to me. I can't think of, and this should be a, I mean, season over season, things change. People have uh, have improvements and all of that sort of stuff. Your number two defenseman, it wasn't Neil Pionk. It wasn't Dylan DeMello. It wasn't one of the veterans. It wasn't Ville Hanel or Logan Stanley. It was Dylan Sandberg. And I think that, you know, I've ranted a lot, but if we could just end that on a, on a bright note, I mean, the season that that young man has ha- had after a tough start has really done a lot to sort of cement some hope and some positivity in, in, in the minds of Jets fans. And we get into the hope and we get into the positivity. And, and Dylan Sandberg, whose AHL playoffs will start this week, are a huge, huge part of that as well. Yeah, well, never a dull moment around here, folks. Get to The Athletic. It is a really interesting piece to hear from all of you compiled in a way that only Murat can do it. And uh, we'll look forward to catching up next week. Uh, it, there, <laughs> I'll say one thing about this. Usually you get into the offseason and things quiet down a little bit. Uh, that ain't happening this year in Winnipeg with uh, with this hockey club. But Marat, thanks so much for doing this. Always a pleasure having you on the program. Thank you so much for having me. Always a great chat with our friend Marat Atesh. And uh, yeah, we did actually have to hook up about an hour before the show today. Uh, Marat had something going on this afternoon. But we wanted to make sure we had his thoughts on the latest on the Winnipeg Jets for you today on Winnipeg Sports Talk. And make sure to check out Part two of the fan poll. Very interesting stuff in the latest edition of The Athletic. And, of course, you can subscribe and check that out at theathletic.com. 
All right, big day yesterday in the Canadian Football League. We're going to get to the Bombers draft with Ed Tate in just a second. Uh, but first things first, a big shout-out to our friends over at Not Auto Corp. Um, you may have already been thinking about a new vehicle over the course of the winter for the summer. Uh, your vehicle may be useless now after losing the battle to the potholes in Winnipeg. Regardless of what you're looking for, Not Auto Corp can get you into the car of your dreams at a great price. Why not head down to Waverly and McGilvery and check out what's going on, both with the incredible selection of Teslas and electric vehicles and all the other vehicles on the lot. Um, find out more online if you would like at not.ca, including their Tesla Experience program, or pop down and see the Not experts over at Waverly and McGilvery. I was just joking off air beforehand. You can tell it's nice outside because we're only getting texts to go for beers in the afternoon at 2.30 in the afternoon. Uh, it seems like people are looking forward to uh, getting out onto a patio and enjoying the best that Winnipeg has to offer. And that, of course, is Little Brown Jug in the iconic 1919. But your best bet is maybe to pop down, have a few on the patio at Little Brown Jug and be able to taste all the great Little Brown Jug offerings, regardless of whether you're at, on at, down at William Avenue at the brewery and tap room or popping by your local beer store. Pick up the great taste of Little Brown Jug today. Heading into the weekend, and if you do want to make an order, from Little Brown Jug, they do deliver citywide Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. And you can order simply, easily, and quickly over at littlebrownjug.ca. Another great night of NHL playoff action this evening. Might be a great night to stop by your local Boston pizza, get together with the gang, watch all four games tonight, and enjoy those gourmet pizzas boston's wings and ice cold schooners and if you're staying home check out their game day deals and order online at bostonpizza.com and our friends at princess auto were fired up for winnipeg blue bomber season of course they've been sponsoring the very successful gray cup tour as bomber fans around the province have got a chance to get their hands on the gray cup and get pictures with canadian football's holy grail and princess auto very excited to be the sponsor of the pregame tailgates all season long for Winnipeg Blue Bomber games at IG Field. And believe it or not, those games are just around the corner. But before we get to camp, they had to get into the draft. Yesterday, both the global draft and the Canadian draft took place. And who better to break it all down from a Bomber perspective with than our good friend, Eddie Tate of BlueBombers.com. Ed, what's up? How are you? You know what, Huss? Those afternoon outside beers sounded pretty good to me. Let's go. Yeah, you know what? It's unfortunate. We maybe should have done a little bit better planning, and we could have yes. done this in person. Maybe meet over at Nicolino's or something there like that and have the camera gone. We'll plan to do that at some point this season. Um, listen, I wanted to get into the draft first, but I'll direct people over to bluebombers.com. you got a pretty extensive recap, but one of the interesting things that I learned from your article, Ed, is that you know much of what the Bombers did over the past couple of days was sort of shaped by a couple of developments that maybe were unexpected over, you know, the last week or so. Two picks from the 2021 draft class, a guy we spoke a lot about last year, Liam Dobson, who was apparently going to the USFL, and defensive back Patrice Rene have reappeared on the club's radar. Tell us about what happened behind the scenes and the latest on those two 2021 draft selections. Yeah, so Liam Dobson was the Bombers' top pick last year, third overall. Big, big, giant uh, offensive lineman that played at Maine and, and Texas State, and they had high hopes for him. And then over the winter, he signed with the USFL, 
you have to sign an agreement before you even get drafted there. And he was drafted by the New Orleans Breakers. I think he and his agent thought that it would be a better path for him to get an NFL look. Uh, but he couldn't get his work visa. And so he was in limbo for New Orleans' first three games. And so it's hard to get noticed by the NFL when you're not playing. Uh, so I guess he got out of that deal. He's now gone to or going to a couple of NFL uh, mini camps, one with uh, New Orleans, uh, I think the other with Chicago. I'm drawing a blank right now. Uh, so that's over the next couple of weekends. But those those things are usually long shots. And so he's, you know, very much back in the Bombers uh, radar screen as a guy that could be in camp here soon. And then same thing with Patrice Rene, a talented defensive back that played at North Carolina and Rutgers, drafted last year. He was hoping to land, if he wasn't drafted in the NFL, to get an undrafted free agent deal, and he didn't get signed. So he signed with the Bombers today. And so, you know, heading into the draft yesterday morning, those pieces were starting to come together. But um, you know, on the weekend when you're you're putting together your draft board, you're thinking, well, we better get an old lineman because we don't have Dobson, and you know we're a little thin in the defensive back area. We might maybe better look at that, and then all of a sudden, Dobson and Renee are back in the picture. So it certainly did change the way they they did things, and then they made that trade before the draft too to get Cam Lawson, a pretty good defensive tackle from Montreal. So, yeah, again, all of a sudden we're looking at offensive-defensive line as where they might go early, and then suddenly it wasn't as glaring a need for this club when the draft started. I'm sure the Dobson developments are real positive for the Bombers. I mean, he was a guy they were quite high on, and I think probably somewhat disappointed when they found out that he was deciding to go try to, you know, get this USFL exposure for possible NFL. And Listen, I think many of us had uh, many, many... Um, doubts about the USFL overall. They're playing it all in one spot, just how legitimate it would be. But, you know, again, for these young players, much like your draft year, I mean, you just want to get noticed and guys do what they were going to do. That being said, um, you know, he could definitely be uh, a, a nice addition um, and one that almost seems like found money in a way because of what the situation was a couple of weeks ago. Exactly. So with Drew Desjardins in uh, New England now, the the thought was that Jeff Gray would slide into that left guard spot, and, and that might be the case still. But they were thin behind him in that uh, along the offensive line in the Canadians. And so uh, Dobson was a heck of a pick last year. Remember, we were all raving about a guy that was, you know, what, 320, 340 that could dunk a basketball, and he seemed to be quite the character. And Didn't he do uh, the backflip too, if I'm not mistaken? Well, uh, I don't. I remember the basketball dunk. I'm not sure about the backflip. If he did a backflip, that's even more impressive to me than a dunk. Because when you're throwing that much weight around in a backflip, that's pretty impressive. Anyway, he's he's a player, and and he he could be right in the mix there for that left guard spot. And Rene is is equally as intriguing because of his athleticism and, and size. Um, you know, he he can play some corner and. Again, this all happened even before the draft. And then Lawson went back and looked. If you looked at the, the from the 2020 draft, the work that Dwayne Ford and some of those guys said about him on, on the TSN draft night, they were raving about, you know, how he can push the pile and do some things. And so he's an, an intriguing prospect, too, that the Bombers are going to get. He, you know, people will look and he, he only dressed for four games last year for Montreal, but they used him much the same way that uh, the Bombers did with Jeff Gray and that they were he was their inactive player 
all season. And that, that meant that they were trying to protect him from being scooped up by somebody else. Now the Lawson uh, acquisition, and it certainly looks like, and I heard him speaking yesterday, um, presumably being a guy that is next man up after Jake Thomas, but also to allow Jake Thomas, you know, maybe to get, you know, a few uh, breaks, uh, whatnot, because, you know, you need to have, you know, a Canadian to replace a starting Canadian. He comes into that, but as a younger player, a big frame, you know, has the potential to maybe, you know, succeed uh, Jake Thomas at some point um, overall. And certainly being with Montreal in the past, you know, has a pretty good, uh, listen, he's been playing with some good players around some good players, and um, he'll continue to do the same thing as a part of that bomber group on the defensive line. Well, you're, you're, you're bang on, Huss. I mean, last year, that Canadian, the defensive line was so dominant, but p- part of what made it so good was that Jake Thomas could take a breather and he'd get replaced by Jonathan Congo, who's now in Denver. So uh, when Congo signed with the Broncos, that thinned that, that rotation considerably. And Theadric Hansen isn't around, right? The, the global player got a lot of reps too. So uh, all of a sudden, that defensive line, which was so important to what this team did last year, defensively looked a little bit thinner on the depth wise. And so you get Lawson, you know, and he'll learn great. Jake Thomas would be great for him to learn from, you know, they drafted Cole Adamson from the, uh, from the Bisons here as a future pick, but he'll be in camp here next week. Um, You know, they went pretty heavy on defense in this draft. Uh, I believe five of their six picks were uh, defensive players. Uh, And so, you know, all of a sudden, the depth on defense looks uh, considerably improved to, to what it was yesterday. It's it's amazing, and they've got even more options for Richie Hall and that group on on defense to to have some racial flexibility. And that's something that Kyle Walters spoke an awful lot about today at his availability. Is that you give guys like Richie Hall and, and Jordan Younger, James Stanley, and Daryl Patterson, the coaching staff on that side of the ball, some options, and uh, the Bombers could you know really play with the ratio and we know how important that is in, in terms of putting together your roster from week to week no doubt about it ed tate of bluebombers.com with us breaking down the bomber selections at the 2022 cfl draft well the trade for lawson the bombers gave up nine and 18 they get back lawson and they move to the 13th spot it was the second round that was their first selection and uh, I, I take us behind the scenes i mean did they expect tyrell ford to be available for them i mean he his brother the first quarterback selected in the first round in 42 years uh, has some NFL looks as well. He'll get some, you know, a couple of NFL mini camps. I mean, this uh, d- d- defensive back seemed to check all the boxes right now, Ed. I mean, tell us about the pick and uh, what you saw behind the scenes as to how pumped the Bombers were to get him uh, as their selection. Yeah, so he uh, just just too good an athlete for them to pass up on. I, from what I understand, in the war room, if they they call it that, or the draft board room, um, as the bombers had traded out of the the first round, I guess you get late in the first round, and and they you know the group starts to look around at each other and says that you know there's a possibility that Terrell Ford could still be sitting there for 13. We better be thinking pretty hard about taking him. Again, maybe they thought they would go. Um, you know, at a different position, but when he was sitting there, they just couldn't pass up on him. Kyle Walters raved about him over and over again this morning at the availability. You know, he can play corner. He played corner at Waterloo and he was so good that uh, opposing quarterbacks rarely threw over there. And, uh, you know, he got bored 
And they said he looked really good at the evaluation camp going against better competition. He can return punts. He ran a 4-4-2 at the National Combine, which was the fastest time. So there's just too much uh, to like there for them to have passed on him there. And, uh, um, again, and again, it's about giving Richie Hall and that crew some options on defense. And uh, um, just a spectacular athlete. I can't wait to see him at, at – uh, at training camp and again the difference this year is we're going to get some preseason games and I imagine he'll get some work as a returner too to try to impress the coaches bombers next selection was a uh, a hometowner uh from the u of m cole adamson a defensive tackle 65 291 uh, it's always great to see local guys get picked it's been a big part of the bomber success really under the uh, walters o'shea uh, era fill us in on uh, the member of the brown and gold that hopes to be a member of the blue and gold at some point well, I've got to be really upfront here. I have a bias for this guy. Um, I coached him in basketball when he was a kid, when he was playing with my oldest son, Wyatt, and they played football and basketball together in high school. And in their grade 12 year, this is how good an athlete Cole is. He's a dominant defensive tackle uh, with the Oak Park Raiders in high school, but he was also the starting center on the basketball team that won the provincial championship that year. Um, my uh, sons and his friends used to, <laughs> He was a big man even in high school, and his nickname was Mr. Adamson. So his uh, friends would bug him when he came into school. Hey, Mr. Adamson, how are the wife and kids? That sort of thing. Uh, when he's 16, 17 years old, he's a great kid, smart as hell. Um, I, I love coaching him in basketball because he always wanted to learn. And I know the Bombers like him. He's going back to school. He's an engineering student. Um but again, just the, the, the month or, or whatever he'll get, uh, the three weeks, two weeks in training camp working with Jake Thomas. Can you imagine a kid like that uh, being in the same defensive room as Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat and Jake Thomas and all that bunch? I mean, if you just sit there and keep your eyes and ears open, you'll be a better player without even having stepping on the field, stepped on the field. So, I mean, I, I like this pick, and I, I've made it pretty clear about my bias as to why, but uh, – it's good for the Bombers long-term, too, because, uh, um, you know, Jake's, as you said, Jake's a veteran guy, and he's going to have this Cam Lawson and uh, and now Cole and other people uh, uh, ready to step in for whenever Jake decides to hang him up. Now, you know, from, from his perspective, and it's interesting, I mean, he'll just be down the hall right now trying to move permanently down the hall. I mean, if he doesn't crack the roster, there still is the option to uh, play for the University of Manitoba, I'd yeah. imagine. And, I mean, that's important i mean often you like for instance with the nfl draft when guys are picked they're done and they're either on the team or they're gone not the case and kyle burst is another individual that you know went back to the university of regina that i think will have a future i mean it could be some names for instance adamson could be a guy for next year much like some of the guys that we've talked about drafted last year could be in the mix for this upcoming season yeah, it's already been determined that Adamson's going back to school. He said he wanted to finish his degree, his engineering degree. Um, you know, I saw he's smart to think about life after football already. And I think he wants to, you know, the Bison team's supposed to be pretty good coming up again this year. And I think he wants to be a part of that and, and continue to grow his game um, at the U sports level. But you're right, it's the, the difference in the with the uh cfl draft is they call these guys future picks right and if you're a deep team like winnipeg with the canadian position you can afford to take uh, use a pick like this on a guy and then sort of stash him away it's almost like having you know the minors in hockey where you can have a prospect to develop on the farm or even go back to junior and play 
um, that's what the plan is here with with Cole Adamson because uh, um, you know with with Jake Thomas and Cam Lawson in, in house here now uh, Cole would be tough to make the team right away but you know another year at U Sports and comes to camp even bigger and stronger next year he'll be better for it one of the amazing things about him is that he's about six five two ninety one. And if you see him walking around, it's amazing you know, how some guys are 291 and it looks like they, you know, they spend the day at Burger King and McDonald's and A&W. Cole carries the 291 really well for a, a guy like that. It, it's, it's pretty impressive. Uh, Eddie, uh, Bombers didn't have a fifth rounder. They then had uh, three more picks. Jeremy Kaplansky, a D lineman from Guelph in the sixth round. Seventh round, a DB from Carlton, Cedric Levine. And Connor Burtonshaw, special teams demon, and a fullback. You don't hear fullbacks too often, although I'm sure the president of the organization has a soft spot for fullbacks. Anything that stand out about those guys, and uh, uh, will they be in the mix when uh, the rookies get together? Well, it's interesting that they've added a lot of DBs in this draft, and, and with Patrice Rene from last year coming in, they've got a lot of options back there, and they just they're younger and quicker and longer, and all those things on special teams. It's funny you mentioned the the fullback. Uh, uh, Kyle Walter said today he he's a Wade Miller clone, and they even brought that up in, when they were picking him uh, yesterday. So I guess he's just a demon on special teams. Um, pretty tough. Uh, got a bit of a mean streak, which sounds like the boss over here. And so uh, <laughs> that, I'm sure that when uh, they went to pick, if if you can if you can get a guy like that in the last round, who knows. Uh, but apparently his special teams uh, tape really popped out. And and the Bombers have done a pretty good job in the last couple of years. And, and people think, ah, the sixth, seventh, eighth round draft, don't worry about it. But if you remember Kerfala Exume a couple of years ago and and Nick Hallett, who's on this team now, those were late round picks who, who made the team as special teams demons and are still in this league. So uh, don't discount the fact that a late round pick could make the club. Eddie, it wasn't just the Canadians that were getting picked yesterday. It was also the global draft. And the Bombers have had some great success in the global draft so far with guys that have, you know, really can, uh, you know, contributed in mm-hmm. some important roles. Um, as the global draft's been expanded, it just seems like it's really been the majority of players have been kickers or punters. Um, a couple Aussies selected as well as a DB from the France and Ivory Coast. Fill us in on the international contingent that was filled in, uh, that was selected yesterday. So the Aussie punter thing has become quite the phenomenon in the NFL and the CFL, hasn't it? And so uh, Tom Hackett, uh, the first pick in the global draft, um, he will be, it sounds like he will be here. He's going to sign. Um, I was reading up about him yesterday because the draft, the global draft was in the morning. So he's a two-time Ray Guy winner as the best punter in the NCAA. He was the voted to the all-pack 12 all century team as the punter and then he went to the new york jets as an undrafted free agent and then in the middle or just be just as camp was starting in 2016 uh the jets signed ryan fitzpatrick and they were looking for someone to cut to make room and they said oh the aussie punter can go so the interesting thing is hackett then started working for espn radio in salt lake city he's got a podcast he's quite the character um and you know he hasn't been he hasn't got a lot of, uh, there's a hole in his resume from 2016 to now, but he has a, his own kicking camp company and they think he's still, you know, he's still been kicking. They think he's still got it. So he's an interesting one. Um, the, the 
the Canadian defensive back, and I'm going to butcher his name, so I'm not even going to try to say it. Uh, he's from France, but he played at Laval, and he was in that NFL Pathways program. And so he got a look and, and uh, by NFL teams and became available for the Bombers. And, that, and then the, the, the last pick in the global draft was another Aussie punter who played at Iowa. And he's interested in coming up here too. But Kyle Walter said today that he's getting married this summer. And I guess with Hackett coming up, they're not going to bring two Aussie uh, punters in, but he might be a candidate for down the road. So um, this global thing is quite interesting because the Bombers do have Les Maruo from last year, the Japanese linebacker. They re-signed the Japanese uh, offensive lineman they had. Um, it's it's interesting to hear these different uh, accents and different uh, uh, languages being spoken in a bomber camp. It's hard enough to understand some of these guys at the best of the time when they're speaking English, and now you'll hear French and a guy with a British accent, a guy with an Aussie accent, and now Japanese too. Well, I'll tell you what, I got a lot of time for the Aussies. I, I, I often joke that I could hear Aussie guys just do commentary of someone crossing the street because <laughs> it's just entertaining. It's funny. Yeah. And the story of Hackett is really interesting. So the selections are all made. Now it's time to get to work. Fill us in on the schedule for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers heading into next week. Well, there's guys already here. There's guys out uh, outside throwing and running routes and, and doing drills and uh, some of the I was surprised they said that a lot of the vets are already come in that usually come in this early, but maybe they're bored. I don't know. There's a, a quite a few of them in already. Willie Jefferson, of course, here. I saw Nick Taylor this morning. Um, some of the Canadian guys have been around for a bit. Uh, next Tuesday is quarterback camp. So Buck Pierce will work with the quarterbacks. And then Wednesday, rookie camp starts. There's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of rookie camp. Um, all the vets have to be in for medicals and testing and everything on, on uh, the Saturday. And then May 15th is the first day of uh, main training camp. And then they play like eight days later. So it, uh, as per CFL, uh, the usual CFL, CFL uh, way of doing things, uh, they get right down to business in a hurry. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's been, been a while since we had a regular camp and we're able to talk to people in person and not on Zoom. So I think everybody's pretty excited about that yeah no doubt about that of course we'll have you back on with a full training camp preview at some point that worked for you but i mean just big picture going in i mean many big questions is there more is there more work to still be done by kyle walters before they get to training camp are they still looking at a couple of different positional areas maybe to add a few bodies well i asked about that today um we we talked about the aussie punters that i think the plan is to still bring in another place kicker uh has gotten pretty fat uh, in the last couple of days. You're going to see a lot more names added in the last few days to get the camp numbers up. I think there'll probably be about 100 guys uh, signed before rookie camp. They'll have to slice that down to 85 when main camp starts. So I'm not sure where the camp where the roster number is now, but I, I, I would imagine that we'll probably see a few more signings before uh, next week's rookie camp. Remus is available for some Oklahoma drills if you if you need him. So uh, just let us know. We can uh, give him a break and he can head down and show what he can do. Yeah, we can we can work that in, and then afterwards we'll go for the uh, afternoon outdoor beers. <laughs> Done deal, Eddie. Done deal. Uh, I know you'll have extensive coverage uh, coming up at BlueBombers.com heading into training camp. A great draft recap. Thanks so much for doing this, Ed. And uh, yes, we will cheers in person very soon. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for having me on.
Good stuff. There it is. Ed Tate of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. You can follow Ed on Twitter at Ed Tate WFC. And uh, yeah, head over to Blomber, bluebombers.com. A great recap of all the players selected by the Bombers heading into things getting going on the 15th of May here in Winnipeg. Cannot wait for the upcoming Blue Bomber season as they go for a three-peat. All right, we got to get Remus back in here. Uh, but hey, I saw Nick and Nicky DQ and Nick DQ Nick in a little earlier. Uh, it's DQ season if there ever was one. Now we got some sunshine. We got some nice weather outside. Get the family, get the kids out. Maybe make a walk down to one of the four Nick and Nicky DQs for a blizzard. And by the way, you might want to squeeze in one of those new stack burgers as well. All the rage right now. But hey, spring and summer, it's not the same without some of those great DQ ice cream treats. And you can pick them up at any of the four Nick and Nicky DQs. DQ in Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, DQ St. Anne's. And don't forget all three Winnipeg locations available right now on all of the delivery apps. Uh, our friends at Canadian Club are ready for the upcoming bomber season. We'll be uh, enjoying CC, Northern Keep, Jim Beam, and more as the official spirits provider of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And uh, we'll, we'll probably get some more bomber gear as well. Actually, I do have some of those exclusive Grey Cup back-to-back champion glasses we can give away in some prizing, as, of course, Canadian Club's been so generous with us with the upcoming, with uh, our prizing for our marble races. And um, shout out to Mike Wynn, who's our first ever winner of the CC and Ginger, which is available now at your local liquor store or beer store and certainly will be the drink of the summer. All right, we do have to get to our cool bet odds right now, but let's get Remus back in. Uh, Remo, great response as always for Marat on the program. Great stuff with Marty Johnson and uh, listen, Eddie Tate, you can just feel the excitement now that the draft is in the books to uh, get moving ahead and see what the blue and gold can do trying to defend their back-to-back Grey Cup championships. They have a lot of returning players. You know, we're counting down to training camp. Snow was melting. I'm excited to be at IG Field outdoors. Uh, very exciting stuff uh, with the Bombers. And yes, the draft day yesterday. Thank you, Ed, for uh, for the update. I know there were people in here who were asking if we were going to touch on it. And uh, we got all everything we need to know uh, just now. So that was uh, the that was answer awesome. to that, of course, is yes. Now let's get to our CoolBet lines. Of course, CoolBet Canada, our betting partner. You can go to coolbet.com, use the promo code WST for a 100% deposit on your first deposit up to $200. Uh, we got four games tonight, Remo, and the Carolina Hurricanes are once again a minus 119 favorite over the Boston Bruins. You know, it's interesting. I'm kind of surprised that this line isn't a little bit higher just considering the way the Hurricanes manhandled the Bruins all regular season and the, you know, big difference in the game one. But I do expect a bigger bounce back from the Boston Bruins tonight, although Rod Brindamore's team seems to be ready for the postseason. Uh, and then, of course, the other early game, the Toronto Maple Leafs coming off of that big 5 nothing win in game number one against the Tampa Bay Lightning. But I did see a stat that coming off a loss, Andre Vasilevsky in his last couple of playoffs, 14-0. and 0. Um, This is going to be a huge test for Toronto. And you'd have to think that the Lightning, who are a plus-110 underdog, will be a much better team than they were in the first game of the series. Yeah, I mean, 5 nothing. I don't think that's going to be the series. So 
I would probably lean Lightning there to make it close. Will they win? I'm not sure. Toronto's looking pretty good, but we've seen them look good early in series before. <laughs> Last year, first round versus Montreal. And so it is uh, seven games. I'm looking forward to seeing how they bounce back and if we'll see any shenanigans because uh, got kind of heated in the last one. Yeah, well, it certainly did. If the games aren't close, then I think you'll see more of that. Otherwise, I think you'll see teams uh, doing whatever they can to stay out of the penalty box, especially in that series with two teams that can light it up with the man advantage. Now, it's interesting. The two late games tonight, Minnesota, St. Louis, Edmonton, L.A., both home teams considerable favorites, but both in sort of desperate positions to avoid going down 2 nothing, heading on the road. Wild minus 141 favorites against the Blues, who are plus 120, and the Edmonton Oilers minus 200 in this game tonight. Huge test for Mike Smith, who, as you pointed out, now 0-10 in his last playoff starts and you know, still sort of wearing those goat horns. Talked to a lot of people in Edmonton, including our pal Dustin Nielsen. Um, there is a lot like Smith had played so well going into the playoffs, but you know, when you have a brain fart, like he had in the third period that in all intents and purposes, cost your team, the game, um, there are some, there is some nerves that being said, they've still got Connor McDavid. They've still got Leon Dreisaitl and no surprise that they are a considerable favor against the LA Kings who stole home ice with that first game win. Yeah. The Kings are hoping to have Victor Arvidsson back on wing but he is not ready to go, uh, Coach McClellan saying today. So that is a break for the Oilers. And though, again, we're going to, Oilers are going to look to, uh, if they want to win, or the, sorry, if the Kings want to win, they got to keep it a five on five, stay out of the box. Um, you know, Phil Deneau, elite at shutting them down. And, you know, that Oilers power play with McDavid, Dreisaitl, Kane, Hyman. I mean, they've been, been pretty good. And, you know, Connor McDavid, he can just take it up the ice and score like he did in the last game. I think the Oilers will bounce back here, but could you imagine, uh, you know, the fear and the feeling in Edmonton if they go down 0-2, losing two in a row at home? I mean, Mike Smith hasn't won in his last 10 games. We saw uh, four of those against the Jets last playoffs. This game has the most intrigue for me tonight, although the Minnesota-St. Louis game, again, Minnesota's that team that... It gets in the playoffs every year, but they never do anything. And I thought, I thought they would have a, you know, be the favorite here against St. Louis. And St. Louis just so scrappy. They're so balanced. Um, they don't really have like I think their top line is actually their second line, the Thomas Tarasenko line, and the O'Reilly. Although it was David Perron with the big game in Game One, so I I do like St. Louis, but um, I think Minnesota and, and Edmonton. I agree. Pressure on those guys to win here. Yeah, and of course, last night, the uh, the Flames, ah, oh, God, you know, they scored early, they dominated the game, I had the minus one and a half, and they never got another goal, including uh, about a minute and a half without the, with the goalie pulled. That being said, Calgary got it. To me, the biggest surprise last night was the big upset of the Washington Capitals going in, turning that game around in the third period, and beating the Florida Panthers who have their own playoff demons, as we mentioned, having not won a series, never mind the Leaf for 18 years. They haven't won since 96. I find it interesting that the two like, young, hot teams coming in on the East were Florida and the Rangers, and they both lost. Uh, I think the Rangers, you know, they've been kind of carried by their goaltending all year, and Pittsburgh, you know, outshot them. Shesterkin made ridiculous number of saves. What was that number again? You said it before. 79. That's absolutely insane in a game, three overtimes. But it was Washington. That was a big surprise. People thought the Panthers would just steamroll Washington like they steamrolled a lot of teams 
and the regular season didn't happen, they're still favorites for tomorrow's game. That's a high total, a total of seven in that game. I think I think they'll bounce back too. But I mean, if you go down 0-2 at home, that's that's bad news. Uh, bad news. So uh, pressure on Panthers, Oilers, wild. Yeah, no doubt. Blue Jays tonight. Uh, Blue Jays are at home, a plus 136 underdog against the New York Yankees. Full slate of games, a few afternoon games going on right now, uh, including, oh my God, the Royals are getting absolutely pumped. Uh, Braves up 7-1 on the Mets, who had that great start, and uh, 0-0 early in Oakland between Oakland and the Rays. Go to Cool Bet for uh, all of your odds on the National Hockey League Stanley Cup playoffs, Major League Baseball, and much more. Uh, is it a quiet night? No, there are a couple games in the NBA tonight. Uh, the Heat, seven and a half point favorites against the Sixers, and the Suns, six and a half point favorites against the Dallas Mavericks. Crazy Boston beat the Bucks last night to even their series at one apiece, Remo. They don't play again until Saturday. Tuesday to Saturday. Make sense of that for me, please. Is there a concert in the building? I don't I, That's my first thought. I don't know. The NBA schedule is always so weird with the spacing of games. I kind of don't. They start series before other series are done, yeah. and, uh, which is uh, probably normally good. Anyways, that was just a weird scheduling quirk. Uh, the Bucs will have a few days to lick their wounds and get ready for game is, three, heading back home to Milwaukee after getting the, getting the split, which is what they needed. Looks like the Bucs right now, three-point favorites in that game on saturday is the, do you have a pick for us tonight i was gonna say is the moose series gonna conflict with the uh bucks series they play in the same building i don't even i don't even know oh the uh that's a great question the no i believe they're still the admirals are still playing in the bradley center and i believe that the uh, bucks have a, a arena that was built a little while ago okay. that's uh that's not taken uh, not taking the same spot i, I uh, went to milwaukee but, once they were giving away beer for free there it was great free beer night well hey Beer, everywhere. Beer and cheese. That's what Wisconsin's they all were, about. They were basically like paying me to drink when I went. I was there for less than twenty four hours. It was it was awesome. <laughs> I've actually been down to a couple of moose games in Milwaukee before as well. Yeah. I was just thinking how much fun it would be to be there this weekend, uh, but probably a little bit tough to pull off I, on this on this short notice. I went to a Brewers game. They literally handed me a beer when I walked in the door. <laughs> That's great. I went to uh, I we went to a bobblehead night. <laughs> in uh in milwaukee and uh well i'll get jim toth on the show sometime we can talk about the bobblehead incident from miller park and uh it, it's a long story but it's quite entertaining um that being said i don't mind the lightning tonight although man i was so impressed with what the leafs did so far i do think the wild and oilers get these series tied back up at one apiece and wouldn't it all be surprised i i could see all of these series being tied one one to be honest after tonight Although I think I'll probably roll with the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, great yes. show today. Big thanks to Marty Johnson, who joined us. Of course, Murata Tesh, if you missed it, we had a great Jets conversation. You can go back a little earlier in the YouTube if you just popped in. And of course, Bomber Talk with Eddie Tate. Tomorrow on the program, we'll talk a little bit more Moose. Fedge himself, Jeff Malott, back on the program. Really looking forward to that. And the head coach of Valor FC, Phil Dos Santos, after a postponed home opener last week, they're getting after it this Saturday. We'll set up the soccer season for the local squad. Um, Brandon Rewicki as well, and more on the Winnipeg Jets and the Stanley Cup playoffs.
Big thanks to all of our sponsors that make this show happen each and every day. Wallace & Wallace, F Apparel, Vita Health, Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Breezy Bend Country Club, Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nicky Nicky DQ Group, Canadian Club Whiskey, and Cool Bet Canada. Speaking of Aikens, man, I, we're going to have so much fun. We're going to try and get some great content out there. But uh, as I mentioned, I'm sure I did this earlier today. You do have a university student, uh, maybe in the family or somebody that you know, looking for a uh, once-in-a-lifetime summer job. Still a couple openings at Aikens Lake for the upcoming summer. Living in paradise, working with great people. Find out more, AikensLake.com, or hit Pit Turin up on Twitter, at Aikens Lake. For Michael Remus, Andrew Patterson here, that's going to do it for me. We'll look forward to getting back together with you tomorrow. Thanks so much for making Winnipeg Sports Talk a part of your day. We'll catch you Thursday on WST. Enjoy the games tonight. Oh, my God. Oh! Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.